This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. It's official, folks. Hillary Clinton is has been nominated by the Democratic Party. The first female nominated candidate in the history of the world for the office of president. That's a huge, huge step forward. Another crack in the glass ceiling, we were told. Several times. <laughs> it's great stuff. That's, that's groundbreaking. It's pretty powerful. It's also, by the way, Walk on Stilts Day. Mm. And take your household plant for a walk day. Hmm. Have you ever taken your plant for a walk? No. We don't really have any plants in the house. You just grab it and pull it. And drag it down the cement. Yeah, just drag it down the street. Wrap, it, wrap a rope around it. Mm-hmm. Lasso it, if you will. Yeah. I, I don't suggest this is a big planter we're trying to pull here. It's the way it sounds. I move them around constantly. Might be better to just like get a little seedling, a little sapling. Yeah. Get something more tree, manageable, yeah. Yeah. Take your household plant or a house plant for a walk today. Hmm. It's good stuff. We've got a lot to talk about. Holy cow. We will get to all of it, including President Clinton's uh, review of history of his wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he missed some parts. There were some parts he... There were just 10 years that he just blah, 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 don't want to go there. He didn't want to focus on his presidency. He wanted to just keep the focus on Hillary and the things that she accomplished. He's actually showing amazing control because he's he's used to having the world and the light be around him. And mm-hmm. now he's he's sharing it. He's got to share the spotlight. <laughs> we'll talk about that. we got a great show coming up. Joe Cannon will be joining us, our Washington insider. He's going to give us uh, you know, the, his, his views of what's going on with the DNC. Uh, a lot of stuff on the radio. A lot of people are complaining about the fact that they, they're not talking a lot about terrorism still. I mean, there's a lot of attacks going on, and you may not know it from the DNC. They did talk more about crime yesterday and, uh, you know— Police and crime in the city. So we'll get to all of that fun, exciting stuff. But first, we've got to get to Caitlin Thomas, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. In his turn on the Democratic National Convention stage last night, like we talked about, former President Bill Clinton gave a deeply personal account of his wife, newly minted Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton. He spoke of the early days of their relationship and chronicled a litany of achievements in her 40-year career. Hundreds of Bernie or Sanders delegates walked out of the DNC last night at the precise moment party unity was supposed to reach a crescendo. The walkout came after protests from Sanders delegates seemed to be fizzling out thanks to personal pleas from Sanders himself and Senator Elizabeth Warren. The military was mourning two soldiers Tuesday who were fatally shot while trying to protect a woman from a gun-toting man in a South Carolina bar. Staff Sergeant Charles Allen Judge Jr., who was 40 years old, and Sergeant First Class Jonathan Michael Pins, who was 29, were, quote, acting as good Samaritans when they were shot, said Captain Attic Myrick of the Lexington County Sheriff's Department. Judge and Prins were at the Frayed Knot Bar and Grill in Lake Mary, west of Columbia, when Joseph Elijah Mills, 25, was caught physically assaulting a female companion when Judge and Prins stepped in. Both were shot fatally. Mills has been arrested, and further investigation continues. And lastly, Matt, this is a good one. 
The production company pleaded guilty Tuesday in British court to two criminal charges for a June 2014 incident that left Harrison Ford seriously injured on the set of Star Wars The Force Awakens. Um, Foodles Production Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, admitted in a magistrate court to two of four health and safety breaches after Ford was hit by a metal-framed hydraulic door that pinned his body to the ground. The door was part of the Millennium Falcon, the spacecraft commanded by his character Han Solo. Ford was walking through the doorway not knowing that the set was live when he was struck in the pelvis and broke his leg. Wow. He had to be airlifted to a hospital for surgery. Companies that breach health and safety laws in Britain are subject to criminal prosecution. So... More to come on Lock that one. Good thing up. he's okay. Lock them up. They have to. They, have <laughs> they to. heard Harrison Ford, not Han Solo. Oh, that's good. Yeah, as long as Han's fine, that's good. They have to take into Thanks. account that he he's he's old. Hold it. He's kind of brittle. You can't you say know? it. You can't if, say that. If they if they crunched down on any other character in that movie with the door, if the door fell on him. They'd probably go to walk away. No, no problem. it was a hydraulic door that pinned him yeah. to the ground and struck his pelvis. I just don't and broke th- his leg. I think if Ray was caught in the door, that she would have been fine. Well, Ray uh, probably would have been because she's uh, a tough cookie. I but. think because it's Han Solo and he's he's old and that's how they broke another. They broke a glass floor. With Ray, isn't Ray the, the wonderful new character in Star Wars, the new version of Star Wars? Yes. Yeah, she's may or may not be Luke Skywalker's daughter, but you know, oh. whichever way you want to go with that. Don't ruin that. Nerd alert! <laughs> I'm just saying. Are you going all nerd on us? No, I'm just you know, her and and when Kylo Ren, they looked at each other. It's like, are they cousins? What is Here this? Here we go. Here we go. Um, <laughs> you can't say because he's old that his bones are brittle. Well, he is. If you don't know the bone density of Harrison Ford's body. I can body. guess. I can guess. He has been in a lot of accidents. He did lately. crash an airplane I know. soon after and he, that. And I think he walked away, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's fine. He's but, got good bones. But he crashed like in the most opportune place. Sure. Middle of, what was it, California. Yeah, like the and it was a golf course. So in other words, there was like 50 doctors right at his side. That's right. Two attorneys. <laughs> He's ready to go. <laughs> and, a, and a movie producer. A couple talent agents. We could make a movie. It's a uh, it's a it's it's a big day today for 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 females across the country. Glass ceiling, another crack, crack, because Hillary Clinton nominated the first female ever nominated to be president. How many females are embracing this moment, though? Hundreds, tens, millions, tens of millions. I think so. Yeah. All right. It's a big deal. I know. Whether you love Hillary or you don't, yeah. it's fantastic. It's great news. I think because it's her that people aren't going to embrace the moment as they probably should. I know. Should. I agree. I think it's going to kind of be glossed over because she's so polarizing. A lot so of people don't like her. But still, this is one huge step forward. One giant leap for mankind. That was different. That was something else. I know, but it's just we- as pivotal. Just as big of a deal. We'll talk about it with Joe Cannon, but uh, um, his her husband, the great William Jefferson Clinton. Mm, otherwise known as Bill. Otherwise known as President Clinton. He spent, what, 25 minutes talking about the story of how he fell in love with this girl. Mm. No, there was this girl. And he started talking about the girl. I thought it was riveting. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, then it went really long. Then it started getting really long. But I learned a lot of stuff about her that when I didn't know. When we filed know. taxes in 1977, like, oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Rachel Maddow didn't like it. She thought it was sexist. 
Yep. Because you can't, you don't call a person a girl. It's girl. And she didn't like it. But I, it was, I think it was interesting stories. I didn't know she had done so much service, so much charity work, so much. He, I think he also made it sound like she was pretty much the reason for the civil rights movement, yeah. for special, for special um, accommodations for people with special needs. Right. She pretty much <laughs> invented the internet. No, that's his he didn't vice bring that president. Up, but that yeah, was a different guy. Al Gore. Yeah. But she, she, she's done a lot. And I think he, he softened her a bit. A lot of people see her as softer. But I think if you don't like Hillary, you didn't like last night. No. Or the, net, the night before. Not you at know, all. I'm going to bet you won't like tonight. She, she can't win. What that's what mean? she's saying. She, there's a different standard for Hillary Clinton versus everyone else. Absolutely. It's that's it's, it's so it's probably not fair. She has a, a, a steeper hill to climb. She's also been at this forever. She has, and a, a lot of the youngins don't. They don't love the Clintons like the older generations used to. No, the young generations don't quite because appreciate. They jump on Wikipedia and read some of the things and go, "Wait a second, Whitewater." Yeah. And you think it's all the scandals, but it's also just some of his policies, well, some true. of the crime laws that he passed that There's kind of been some, a lot uh, of people. And, uh, people have taken time to look back at what Bill Clinton did yeah. and see that some of those programs didn't quite pan out the way they were they were. But I here's guess, the deal. Described. I don't care what your politics are. Bill Clinton is one of the best – what's the word? Schmoozers okay. <laughs> that exist. He is so good. Yeah. Honestly, 35,000 words he has spoken in Democratic conventions, Mm. the most of anyone in the history of the world and the universe. Wow. I know. You just kind of encompass everything there. I know. It's huge. Yeah, it's a good job. And it seems like the media love this. Like the media, they're all over this. Oh, yeah. Tears. Whenever whenever they have an opportunity to, to talk with Bill, they all go scrambling. I mean, it was moving last night, except I saw more tears the night before when Bernie wasn't going to be president than I did. Yeah. This is this is groundbreaking. There was less of that. The the protests seemed to uh, to lessen, but I think some of it had to do with a uh, after uh, Hillary actually was officially the, the nominee. They stood up and walked out of the, uh, the conference area, yeah. walked into a media working area and then sat down. They're still pushing back. Yep. Or they're out on the streets and they're making noise out there. It's it's a weird thing because it doesn't seem like they're uniting the party yet. Well, it does on TV because oh, yeah. whenever they say any any objection and there's then less scream. there's less nose because they were out of the room. So still a lot of talk about Russia being behind all of this. Well, now you have independent companies who've confirmed it. The FBI and several intelligence agencies have confirmed it. But Julian Assange, the guy from WikiLeaks who's actually releasing all of these, Mm -hmm. he says there will be some egg on the face of people that are saying that this was the Russians. Right. And the White House suspects a tie between WikiLeaks and the Russians. That's where WikiLeaks is getting all their info. Interesting. So, <laughs> the weird thing about it is they're still acting as if the Russians wrote the emails. The Russians didn't write the emails. The Russians just uncovered them, stole them, yeah. and have released them publicly. But at the same time, there's groups that can't separate the two either. 
what the yeah. what the the committee did to Bernie Sanders is wrong. Yeah. But at the same time, they're saying there was a hack. Well, so there's two different problems here, yeah. but they can't hack. people can't separate them. That's right. Hack is horrible. We should deal with the hack. But then at the same time, the government warned the Democratic committee that their computers were vulnerable and they needed to do something about it, and they didn't. So. They were asking Reince Priebus last night. So why wasn't why weren't the why weren't the Republicans hacked? And he's like, I don't know. Probably had a better system. Or they were and they don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Either way. But one of the things that's coming up, and this is going to get crazy because Assange says there's there's more to come. We've got more on Hillary that's going to blow your mind. Well, he's been talking about this since June. Right. June, Like June or May, I believe I was reading, where he was in an interview and he's saying this, we have some things. And so they held them until Sunday night. And But here's and the weird, but here's the weird thing. They asked him in an interview, "What, what's, you know, what should, what should we be focusing on?" And he said, "There's a, you need to focus on the most interesting piece of information is how much people are paying and donating, and the lists of donor donors are in there, and, and the donations they've made, and the the potential favors they may be getting, mm-hmm. sitting at what tables, sitting on what in what meetings, and potentially what." jobs they may be assigned and given in the new administration, right. which would be directly tying to the Clinton administration, the future Clinton administration, tying donations to the opportunity to play, mm-hmm. which isn't good. And kind of against what Hillary Clinton's been talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. Or she's talking about against big banks, but then how much money she has taken in that the meetings she's held the things she's or they're all kind of in these emails but so if if, i mean what do you do if you're a candidate in the middle of your nomination process a day away from accepting it and you may have emails of yours released including maybe emails from your original bathroom email server which also may have been hacked right what do you do focus on glass ceilings look over here everybody (laughs) look over here (laughs) Yeah, what do you do? It's a I don't know. tough night. Who's in the lineup today? Tonight is uh, President Obama. Holy cow. Uh, Joe Biden will President, also speak. Vice President. So you have those two, and then also you'll have the new uh, Vice President-elect. Yeah, Senior Kane. Senior Kane. Will, will who's spend. got an incredible... So the, the, the question is, who speaks first? Do you put the focus on the vi- the new vice presidential oh, nominee? That's a great question. Can he follow Barack Obama and no. still have any punch? Or you got to have put Barack him- Obama end the night. Is he the he's the ender? He he closes he's the it closer. out. So you have to have the vice presidential mm-hmm. nominee come in f- before I'd that. Have, here's what I would have if I was getting crazy. I'd have Vice President Biden okay speak, mm-hmm. and then I'd have him introduce Vice President Elect Kane. Not elect. Vice President nominated there you go. nominee Kane to speak. Then eventually down the road I'd have – you got to have an Obama close it. He's the president of the United States. Right. But see, this is a different – this is you – had, you had President Clinton speak. You've had Obama speak. You'll have the vice president speak. The Republicans had Dole. Scott Baio was there. Scott Baio. <laughs> Dole. I mean yeah. it's – it's a different. It's a different convention. It seems like the one party. Well, it doesn't seem one party embraced the candidate. The other party was fractured. Right. Well, it, but at yeah. the same time, both parties are fractured. They're fractured, just in different ways. It's just, well, yeah, yeah. There was a disservice because 
you, it makes you wonder if there is there. I guess there wasn't. There wasn't any other candidate. Well, Bernie Sanders, but many would think he's not a real candidate. Right. You can't. This is the weirdest election ever. We'll let Joe fix it. Joe Cannon. He'll clean it all up for us, folks. We'll be talking about uh, what's going on in Philadelphia and hopefully give you some insight with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He'll be with us in a minute, folks. It is historic, though. You got to you got to do you got to give credit where credit is due. That is first uh, female nominated to be president. That's amazing. And uh, politics aside, that's progress. We'll take a break. Come back. Talking with Joe Cannon up next. Stick with us. When you hear Bob Dylan on the show, you know it's time for Joe Cannon. <laughs> Joe Cannon is our uh, our friend, our you know he, he's our educator, really. He he walks us through this political process. He's our Washington insider, and uh, we we love having him. He was a past uh, candidate for U.S. Senate and um, chairman of the Utah Republican Party. Also served as an assistant administrator under. The U.S. EPA under Ronald Reagan, and so we're honored to have him here on the line because he's out of the, out of town. Joe Cannon, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. You're here, you bet, and you're here to solve this entire uh, political problem. What is, you know, all of a sudden, Donald Trump, his 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 uh, polls are all going up, and. Hillary Clinton nominated first female. What do you think? What's going on in this world? Well, wow, this this election has anomalous in a lot of different ways. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think just to start out on, on a high note, a positive note, uh, you know, this, this is historic. It's yeah. the first time in the, you know, the history of the United States that uh, a woman has been nominated by a major party for president. That's a that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, uh, it puts us behind lots of other countries, like India, uh, Israel, uh, Germany, Great Britain. Great Britain's had two women leaders, uh, including now. But but still, it's a big it's a big deal for uh, for the U.S. to have a, a, a major party nominate a woman for president. Right? Is yeah, it so that's historic and and. Uh, Pretty interesting. I think it's it's really interesting, and yet it is it people struggle with Hillary. Is it because it seems like this would be even a bigger deal? Well, yeah, you know that's true. If I if I talk to friends of mine who are women Democrats, uh, a surprising number of them don't regard it as particularly earth shaking. Yeah, that um, and a surprising number of them. Especially, it, it seems to me, and I, I'm sure there's polling data, I couldn't find any, but the younger you are, the younger you are as a woman, the less likely it is to be such a big deal hmm. uh, for Hillary. Now, that, that could have to do with the, you know, how far women have come in general, and younger women don't appreciate and aren't aware of some of the struggles that older women have had. I, I don't know. The other thing is, there's a, there's sort of an almost uh, a kind of an androgynous quality 
uh, about Hillary Clinton. I mean, yes, she's no question a woman, but um, she's also a, a politician, just an old Paul, mm-hmm. uh, both old and uh, political. And uh, that's also kind of anomalous. I mean, you, uh, you, 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 you just see, well, where did she come from? Well, deeply, deeply rooted political background. No one has been confused for many, many, many years that she wanted to be president. Obviously, she ran in 2008 uh, and lost. Now she's running again and and did everything right this time in terms of of winning, including, uh, you know, crowding out serious contenders and and beating uh, beating a challenge from the left Mm. of her party. So... So a lot of people. So I mean, there are people who just say, "Well, yes, of course she's a woman, but she's also sort of an old time Paul." Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, and, and I mean, even getting into Yale, being they, on I the that, Yale I Review, that anything away, anything no. away from the fact that it's prehistoric. Yeah, it's almost like she was the perfect scenario. She got in there. She, she. That was one of the interesting things I thought about uh, President Clinton's. Um, talk last night was we got to hear her more of her whole story. What did you think of, uh, I mean, it got a little long, I thought, a little tedious, but what did you think? Do you think it's it's endearing more people to Hillary? To, uh, just to be totally honest, I wasn't able to listen to the talk last night. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I, I, there, you were schmoozing. Things happening. So I couldn't, I, I didn't hear it. So I just heard the reaction, and the reaction was, as you said, I mean, on on CNN and on MSNBC, and on uh, with one notable exception, I thought that was interesting, and on Fox, or at least the three cable channels that I listened to, to, to kind of hear what everybody from every side is thinking about. Uh, you know, it was very well received. It was totally Clintonian, and yeah. it went long. Uh, <laughs> It, it talked about this idyllic marriage. I mean, there were some things that were, you know, sort of askew with with history, but that's true with all political speeches, especially speeches like that. Right. The, the one interesting thing I thought is I heard, heard Rachel Maddow about it. Yeah. So she praised the talk, of course, in general, but she was very... And so here you have a young feminist uh, woman, younger feminist woman, and... She was actually very negative about the parts of the the beginning part mm-hmm. where talking about Hillary is a mom, Hillary is my wife, yeah, and, you know, a girl, like, uh, yeah, and, and, and you know talking about I didn't like I said in Europe, but just going hearing what Rachel said about it was uh, you know talking about pursuing this girl, this almost mythological figure, and <laughs> then she became my wife and. She was pretty turned off by that, but but she was you know pumped about the speech in general. Yeah, and that's Rachel Maddow, who's very sensitive to. She, she thought it sounded very sexist. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and in fact, let's just let's give you a taste of it and let you let you hear just a little bit of this is uh, Bill uh, Clinton talking about when he met Hillary in the spring of nineteen seventy one. I met a girl. The first time I saw her, we were, appropriately enough, in a class 
on political and civil rights. She had thick blonde hair, big glasses, wore no makeup. And she exuded this sense of strength and self-possession that I found magnetic. There you have it. I mean, and he went on. It was, I think it was great. And it humanized her to a, to a large extent. But it almost seems like if you're not pro-Hillary, it won't help. It's so hard to say, but one of the big anomalies of this, this whole election is you have two very outsized personalities, both of which have nearly 100% name ID. And so it's hard to see how polls move. I mean, we'll we'll probably talk later about, in fact, movement in the polls. But, uh, wow, it's hard to know how how they redefine themselves or define themselves, uh, given that virtually everyone already has an opinion of them. So a lot of what's going on is... Uh, a appealing to the base, you know, extremely important for both parties, and B, in the case of uh, as the Secretary Clinton, and particularly what Bill was doing last night was there is a slice of people. I don't know if you call them in the middle, but there are a slice. There's a slice of folks out there who are changeable, but it's a very tiny number. And for I think the strategy it looks to me like the strategy on the Democrat side is to get Hillary to look uh, more warm and more accessible, hmm. which are not, not, I don't mean to be negative, but those are not her natural inclinations or natural state of being. So <laughs> there's this huge effort to, to humanize her and, and, and show that, you know, her compassion and, and a lot of the talks yesterday were, you know, about children and how, her work among children, and including Bill. You know, uh, Bill's mentioned that a number of times, apparently. Yeah. She's... So, yeah, so they're, they're trying to shore up the base, which we need to talk about in a second, too, because this, that conv- this convention, the Democratic convention, is a lot more like what people thought the Republican convention was going to be like. Uh, in, ter- in terms of dissidents and party unity, mm-hmm. and uh, and who's doing what, but the net of all the talks, you know, for, from Michelle's talk yes, uh, the day before yesterday, and Bill's talk, and the talks in general were to, you know, put a kind of a warm, uh, friendly, uh, caring face on Secretary Clinton. Do you? What do you think of? Um, I mean, topically, they haven't been talking about ISIS much. And yet, meanwhile, in the news, out in the real world, we're hearing ISIS after ISIS, you know, France to you name it. It's, it's now Germany. Germany. It's all over the place. Um, is it a mistake that they don't bring it up more? Is it? I mean, some would say the Republicans overdid it. Are the Democrats underdoing it? Um, maybe. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I heard one uh, operative uh, interviewed say, well, every night has a theme, and we just haven't gotten to the national security theme yet. Uh, so maybe that's ahead of us. So you, uh, actually, probably tonight, uh, we'll see. Yeah. She, she has to talk about it in her talk. I mean, everybody says on both sides that this is the talk of her life, <clears throat> and she's got to, to hit a lot of different themes but one of which is national security. So I heard Frank Luntz, 
last night, uh, and he was talking about some polling he'd done, that 81% of the people uh, don't feel safe and they want to feel safe. And the safety concept is really crucial, and it's almost, almost all related to terrorism. So they... Uh, she, not they, she is going to really have to hit that hard because that that is much more salient in this year than it's been maybe any year since uh, 2004. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, they do talk a lot about police. They talk about safe streets. They talk about guns. But it doesn't seem like that is I mean, that's still not those aren't the headlines necessarily that we're hearing over and over the last month. I mean, we do about the guns um, and the yeah. safe streets, but we, we're hearing we're hearing terrorism. And, and again, it, it's it just seems like it's it's such a this is the division of the world or the country because the Republicans talked about a lot of things the Democrats aren't talking about. And the Democrats are talking about a lot of stuff, including love, that the Republicans weren't necessarily talking about. Well, you, you have a very divided nation. I mean, there are a number of books in recent years just about the very deep divide. And what each of these conventions shows is that, by and large, the organizers of the convention, the party leaders and the speakers, understand their constituencies. So, yeah, so on the Republican side, you hear words like law and order, which I haven't really heard since the 60s. Hmm. Um, and you hear a lot of law and order and on the Democratic side, you have the mother of Trayvon Martin. You have, uh, you know, I don't know if it's mother, but you have relatives of some of the young black men who've been killed. And the whole emphasis there is on uh, more on race than it is on on, on law and order. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because each party understands their base pretty well. And uh, both parties try to, A, strengthen their base and be unified. Hmm. I think we've had this conversation before. There are actually four parties. Each of the parties has in itself pretty big divisions. And um, and to be successful, either either each party has to unite to some significant degree to make sure that that base comes out. Yeah. And so that that's why I mean I think that's accounts in both both conventions why you heard the different themes. They were they were aiming at at their you know, constituency, big, big chunks of, yeah, big chunks of their constituencies, and they got to get them out, or it's just not going to work. We're speaking with Joe Cannon; he's our Washington insider and uh, is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, fighting to uh, lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. When we come back, I want to talk about the the email leaks of, at the DNC and the potential of more coming out. Uh, crazy stuff uh, at the conventions this uh, year. We'll take a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking politics and about uh, the convention last night, the history-making convention where Hillary Clinton was nominated as the first female presidential nominee of either party. It happened last night. Another crack, she said, in the ceiling, the glass ceiling. 
Joining us to talk about the convention and politics in general is Joe Cannon. He's our Washington insider and a good friend. Joe, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Hey, um, okay, so uh, WikiLeaks, Julian Assange drops the 20,000 DNC emails, exposes the DNC in a to a to a level of vulnerability that I mean of all things to tip you over um that there couldn't probably be much worse than that but it did expose that the DNC was conspiring against uh, Bernie to some degree and talk to us what's the political impact of that and um and and what what should we all be paying attention to when it comes to a, a kind of a scandal like that yeah. Well, first, it's uh, well. I'd say first, I, it was clear to a lot of people that Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC were all in for Hillary, mm-hmm. and that, that's pretty much often the case, especially where you've got sort of a, a quasi incumbent, uh, you know, someone who's you know just sort of the preferred candidate. How, having said that, I don't think that anything that the DNC did materially affected the outcome. Hmm. Uh, she really did beat him fair and square, whether you take the superdelegates into account or not. She beat him in in most states. Uh, and so, so I, I think on that end, probably it wasn't materially very important. However, it was amazing what the, those emails said and how far they went and some of the crazy things that they at least contemplated. And and leading to, you know, sort of probably one of the worst ways you can start your convention is to have your chairman booed oh. and, then, and then basically fired. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so it, it started the whole thing off on a pretty sour note. Um, but, yeah, I, now, of course, the Democrat response is, well, the Russians did it. Right. And, you know, it might be. Don't look at us. The Russians true. did it. Yeah. I, I have no idea whether that's true or not. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how I would know. But, uh, you know, how about just responding to the facts of what the emails are? I mean, nobody argues that the Russians made them up. Right. <laughs> they, right. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think there was a, a fair amount of damage done. I, I, it's hard to know how, if at all, this affects the polls, because they're talking about the conventions, and, you know, a lot of people are watching the conventions, but lots of analysis shows that there's a big blip during the convention time for either party. I'm not talking about the bump now, but blip in in, in viewership, and, oh, yeah, there's a convention going on, and then people just go back to their regular day-to-day activities, (laughs) and one thing that they bring up is because um, in in the emails were the lists of all of the donors to the DNC, and even um, I guess possible connections of the donors and the time that they get access to the leaders, even the president. Some were saying they were selling the power of the presidency, um, even setting people up for certain. And we talked about this. Uh, I, oh, maybe I can't remember if it was with you. We talked about last week the fact that. You know, there are political appointments that are made many times to people that have given money to these candidates. And so um, anyway, they think deeper into those notes, they're starting to see that they're they're alleging potential pay and play scams going on. I mean, is that 
is that something to worry about? They've, there's still, what, 90-something days left of this election, and story after story seems like it's going to start coming from this this uh, this information. Right. Well, in every election, in every or every administration, you know, I don't know how going far back, but probably all the way back, uh, significant donors want to have influence, and very often they want to be appointed to things. Uh, historically, a lot of the, the the more crass examples of that relate to ambassadors. So right. you can make somebody an ambassador to Greece. And they may or may not make any difference at all, because in reality, the deputy chief of mission, who is a, you know, longtime career person, really runs things, you know, and, and um, so you can afford to to give a height, a big donor, a spot like that. And that that's pretty traditional. These emails, you know, show that maybe it's a little bit deeper and I, I don't want to say the Republican Party is any better or any different. I, I, I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But it, it's pretty clear that the idea of pay-to-play is very well entrenched in our political system, and that's a problem. I think I think that's a problem. Unfortunately, I don't know how to fix it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it would take it would take a a constitutional amendment, wouldn't it? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you could probably pass a law. And, and there are laws. I mean, directly saying and someone saying, "I will give you this position for this amount of money." That that is illegal. Yeah. So the question is, how close do people get get to the line uh, on that? That's. But I I'm interested to know when the when the WikiLeaks comes out with whatever the Republican side of things are doing, or Donald Trump, or you know, I, it doesn't strike me that these folks are particularly partisan i think they're just uh, they they want attention and they get all these emails and you know they probably have them for republicans too mm-hmm. no totally and that's i mean i guess that's what's scary about all of this is i mean if, if if these weren't released but they could easily be leveraged against political leaders i mean we're going to expose this and this from your email that's why you know having access or having your emails exposed could be such a problem in uh, gerrymandering and, and messing with the the election. Yeah, no, it's a it's it's something you have to be really careful of. What do you think? Of, well, give us your mean, give us your insight, Joe, on the the polls. I mean, Donald got quite a little jump, and um, talk about this. Are we expecting a similar? Jump in the polls after the election, kind of that bump, and and or is this something really Hillary needs to be worrying about? Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, generally speaking, and I just heard one commentator talking about over going many decades that Democrats get a slightly bigger bump than Republicans on average, about a percent. Um, but this election is so different. Again, it's you. You come back to the fact that there's universal knowledge of polls of candidates. Um, so Donald got a bump. I mean, I think the most interesting poll, poll out there is one it's done by USC, and they track, yeah. I think it's like 3,000, or maybe it's yeah, 3,000 uh, respondents that they categorize as likely voters. And when you look at that, Hillary was ahead 
sometimes by quite a bit, sometimes by not so much. And until the, like, 20th, 23rd, uh, 21st, 22nd in that area, and all of a sudden there's a big gap. So it's every night um, uh, Trump's lead gets higher, and now it's like about a 7% gap. So normally I would say a poll like that would be an anomaly. You just say, well, okay, one poll. But but this is a, a an interest kind of interesting kind of tracking poll, and um, it's showing pretty steady improvement. So for a long time, Trump was just level, and Hillary would go up and down. Mm-hmm. Now it's showing this, um, this this pattern of at least the last several days of, of Trump going up and Hillary going down. So I, I don't know what that means, and I don't yeah. know what, what context to put it all in. Uh, if you look at the real clear politics average, I mean, Trump has gone up to now, on average, 1.1% uh, above above Hillary. I, my, I don't think I'm going out on too far of a limb. I think that will change after this convention. I'm guessing she's going to give a pretty terrific speech, and you'll you'll see that come back at the, you know, a little more equilibrium. Hmm. What the uh, real interesting guy to watch is Nate Silver, who you know, yeah. does this, has this very sophisticated polling and pretty much just sort of seesaw back and forth. I think you know over time Hillary has the edge and and what he's you know his his analysis but wow when you look in the internals of his of his uh model all of the states not all but many 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 of the states and all of the important ones they're just razor thin one way or the other you know that's that's i mean when you when you start throwing Nate Silver who's been one of the most successful uh um pollsters and numbers, you know, managers in the last two or three elections. It's interesting how even he can't keep up, and his some of his theories are upside down. And then he fixes them and corrects them. But it's, it's. Um, I guess it does show really how how up in up for grabs this is. What would you say we should be paying attention to? We have a minute or so. What should we be watching that uh, maybe we're not catching? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I. I think what's pretty significant, there, there are a couple of conflicting things in the, in the uh, convention so far. One is, and Slate pointed this out, which is not at all, you know, <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty liberal yeah. group. Uh, they said, you know, you saw this unity last night after, after the uh, roll call. And they said, yeah, but maybe the reason for that is all the, most of the Bernie people left. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big, pretty big walkout. It was kind of more significant than I thought once I, once I read that story. On the other hand, uh, you have the Clinton campaign giving at least an honorific spot to Wasserman Schultz, uh, which has got to aggravate yeah. Bernie people. And then she picks Tim Kaine, who, you know, in the overall scheme of things, is definitely not a, not a conservative, but he is to the right of Hillary and way to the right of Bernie Sanders. Huh. I mean, just the, the week before he was chosen, he he co-signed letters asking for deregulation of the banks. Hmm. And, you know, that's going to find its way into public discourse. Uh, so I think that she really is doing the classic uh, run to the left in the primaries and then moving as far as she can uh, to the middle. And and, and the, the the pick of Tim Kaine, I think, demonstrates that. So that's yeah. 
you know, just one thing to, to look at. Another thing to look at is where is she going to come down on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, mm-hmm. the, the so-called trade bill. So she, she and her husband had big supporters of these trade pacts, but they are clearly unpopular. I mean, Donald Trump is making hay of this in the Republican side, where almost everybody is a pro-free trade person, at least at the elite, you know, uh, so-called establishment right. level. And Terry McAuliffe stepped right into the middle of that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, yeah, saying she's probably going to accept it and then change it or not, yeah, or change her mind on it. Looking at what she does on trade is going to be interesting because it's it's one of the areas that Trump can run to her left and maybe peel off a little bit of support. Wow. Oh, politics. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Have a safe uh, trip, and uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. Again, Joe Cannon, he's our Washington insider, also CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go to fuelfreedom.org. It's a, they're trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the show. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Again, history was made last night, and whether you love the candidate or the, I don't know, the party, put that aside for a second. The first female nominated to be president of the United States, the year 2016, it happened last night. Two quotes for you. Okay, one quote, uh, they're both by Susan Anthony, Susan B. Anthony. Men, their rights and nothing more. Women, their rights and nothing less. Men shouldn't have more rights than anyone else. Women shouldn't have any less rights than anyone else. Powerful, powerful uh, point. The day may be approaching, Susan B. Anthony said, when the whole world will recognize women as equal of men, as the equal of men. It happened. So even though there's, there's turmoil, there's chaos, even though some of you can't believe Donald Trump could be a nominee, some of you can't believe Hillary Clinton can be the nominee, in the midst of it all, we still can nominate a female to be president. That says something about us as a population, as a people. Now that uh, we've broken some barriers there, we probably need to make sure we're choosing the right people. And that's that's where it's going to be interesting. Out of the four uh, major party candidates, two are female and two are male. Fifty percent seems appropriate, doesn't it? Anyway, that's our number one of the Matt Townsend show. Stick with us. We'll be right back helping you become a better person. And hopefully uh, as you do that, you lift the world around you. We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. You know, everybody is born, but they don't always get a handbook to how to run your life. So we bring you the latest, the greatest, and today, no exception, one of my favorite authors, Jim Farrell, will be joining us 
from Arbinger Institute, and um, he'll be talking about his book, The Outward Mindset. This, I'm telling you, huge learning that uh, I've been studying my entire life. I've realized I like to learn. And that's why the show's pretty fun for me, among other reasons. I get to hang out with uh, people that are funny to look at and um, talk with. Um, I love it. Ben, you're funny to look at. I'm fun to talk with. See how that works? Thanks, Terry. You're the best, Terry. Thanks so much. Just defining roles. Thanks for including me. I got a great job, but I also get to learn from experts. And so I want to bring some of that learning to you. Today we'll be talking about how to make your life better. If you've ever had a situation where you go, you get all pumped up, you've went to a training, you're on top of the world, and then it all fades. We'll give you some insight into how to maybe create a real change, an outward mindset with uh, Jim Farrell. We'll be talking about that. Plus uh, other incredible stories we're going to get to today, just so you know, is take your house plant for a walk day. Everybody, grab your plant, take it out for a walk. If you got two hands, two plants. You don't, you don't have to take the planter box with you. So just grab a smaller plant. This is audio of Ben this morning taking his neighbor's plants out for a walk. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting a business where I take my... Yeah, like a dog walker. Exactly. You're a plant walker. There's like a three-mile loop around my house. Uh, so you just dragged this planter box? Walked it, yeah. 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 Wow. It, it didn't seem like that probably wasn't as relaxing as you thought it would be. Yeah, I was a little bit stubborn. Didn't want to Didn't want to go, but... It was yeah. it was good. Was it happy after? Um, it had a lot of fun running down the hill. Oh, did it slide down the hill? Yeah, yeah. you let go. Uh, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, no, that's not good. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how a uh, an armored truck. You you make one mistake. You leave one door open. We'll get to this, and all of a sudden, you lost twenty grand. We'll get to that. That's a big deal. We'll help you figure out how not to lose twenty grand on the job. And where to find it. We have some really powerful answers. Where to find the 20 grand if you're willing to look hard enough. Uh, Plus, just the latest and greatest. We'll probably get to a little Coach's Corner. A lot ahead, folks. So stick with us. But first, we must get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Hillary Clinton is the Democratic Party's nominee for president. We officially found out this week the former Secretary of State crossed a required 2,383 delegate threshold during the Democratic National Convention's Tuesday night roll call vote. Senator Bernie Sanders concluded the roll call moving for all votes to be cast for Clinton. With Hillary Clinton confirmed now as the nominee, day three of the Democratic Convention will feature a speech by keynote speaker President Barack Obama, who will reportedly defend his own time in office and promote Clinton as the best chance of extending his legacy. Vice President Joe Biden, who some thought might step up to challenge Clinton for the nomination this year, will also speak. America will also meet Clinton's running mate Tim Kaine on Wednesday amid cries of dissatisfaction by Bernie Sanders supporters who have called him a, quote, unacceptable pick. U.S. intelligence agencies have, quote, high confidence that the Russian government... perpetrated a leak of Democratic National Committee documents, the New York Times reports. This new consensus, apparently reached through an investigation by the FBI and other intelligence agencies, supports a theory that Russian agents leaked DNC information in an attempt to sway American voters against the party. An independent security research firm also concluded a Russian government hacker was behind the DNC leak. 
And breaking news this morning, the state dropped charges against three remaining Baltimore officers charged in the arrest and death of Freddie Gray earlier this morning. More information and updates on the story will be coming in as the morning continues, so listen up for that. And finally, Matt, here's a happy one to leave you off with. St. Louis police will have a question to ask as they take their new truck into neighborhoods. One scoop or two is the question. Police Chief Sam Dotson calls it, quote, Operation Polar Cops, a truck that will give away ice cream treats at various events, part of an effort to improve community relations. Police officers say that the goal is to provide a, quote, fun environment for citizens to have positive interactions with our officers. Great. The truck, retrofitted to look like a typical ice cream truck but dressed in police blue, was unveiled to the community yesterday. The ice cream truck was purchased by the St. Louis Police Foundation, Prairie Farms Dairy, and the grocery train Schnucks donated the ice cream. Excellent. So there we go. Change. Positive. Positive. Creating positive change. Sweet tasting change. Right. That's good for everybody. Who doesn't like ice cream? Caitlin. Well done. Uh, who doesn't like ice cream? Ben. False. Ben, you could work with the police department, take your truck, go out with them in the truck. I'm actually legally not allowed to work with the police department. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. they've have they done a background check? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. Um, it's more of a restraining order. Yeah. The police have a restraining order against Ben. Stay As away. they should. Yeah. As they should. That ice cream truck is actually a uh, ambulance. Oh, really? That they've retrofitted and changed into a police-looking ice cream truck. Was it a van? Or was it an ambulance, no, it's boxy a, it's a, ambulance? It's, it's an ambulance. Yeah. You see it, it. It's it's an ambulance that they've, they've painted or shrink-wrapped okay. or whatever. Wow. But yeah. They've shrink-wrapped it. So it's pretty big. They I think a lot it's of a smart idea. They get, that's how you get out in the community. Right? Yeah, free ice cream. And it draws everybody in. And then when you're handing them, what you do is you just fingerprint people (laughs) while you're handing them ice cream. I mean, the the, the stereotype is you have the the random van sitting on the street or, (laughs) you know, whatever. And I'm like, what did they buy? An ice cream truck and it's a surveillance? And oh, no, that's an ice cream truck. It's real. That's it. Now all of a sudden, no one will trust it. But it's also big enough to hold the SWAT team, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, so it can go both ways. You can sneak SWAT into the situation. <laughs> we can not only give you ice cream, but we can sneak the uh, SWAT, the, the SWAT, SWAT team in. on in. That's not good. No. Not good. Hey, they needed the SWAT team um, in Providence, Rhode Island. An armored truck crew lost about $20,500. They just lost it? Yeah. So if you lose, I mean, in it's a big place? deal. You're, you're an armored truck, and apparently the back door popped open oh. in transit, mm-hmm. which if you notice happens a lot. Constantly. Somebody needs to fix, re-engineer the door locks. So they lock, yeah. But in transit, three large bags of cash fell into the road, mm. and the Providence Police Department said the Brinks truck crew told the investigators the doors came open, and then the bags fell out, three bags of cash fell out, two were struck by cars. And when a bag is struck by cars, then... It explodes? It explodes. Mm. And then you've got money airborne. So, but they're trying to find where the money went, and we actually have the answer. Really? It's in a song. Oh. The answer, my friend, is blowing Little Bob Dylan. The answer is blowing it's, it's, The answer is blown in the wind. Mm-hmm. It's also, if you ask the question, where's all this Zika coming from? The answer, my friend. Peter, Paul, and Mary. It's blowing those mosquitoes in the wind. Wow. It's once it's one song that's been played a lot, but it ha- it has a, a lot of answers Apparently. to a lot of questions. Yeah. Trump's hair. Okay. Will he answer my friend? Mm. Why does Trump have hats? 
So is that Springsteen. So his hair doesn't blow in the wind. The answer, why does Trump sell so many of those hats that aren't that attractive? Yeah, I saw them uh, explain today, what was it, a goofy trucker hat? That was how people are trying to describe the hat now. It kind of is a goofy truck. truck. It kind of is. Yeah. What's he going to do? Because he wears it. I think the whole hat came around. So when he gets off an airplane mm-hmm. and it's windy. He doesn't get that wind sail look. He can't. Yeah, he can't have the, As his comb over flies he around. He can't have a wind. It's not a comb it's over. It's more of a comb back. But yeah. It's just, it's just a very high-end mullet. That's sutured not stapled but sutured to his skull how do you like your mullet i like it sutured not stapled because <laughs> um, just feel it does this feel real to you it totally feels real so um th- he wears the hat to mm. get off the airplane right here's the problem mm. if he's president and he lands in mumbai okay is our president going to wear a hat maybe <laughs> and what would the hat say making america no. great making America great because he's in the process at that point of he's president because right now it's make looking to the future. Now yeah. he's making in the process when he's done. It's made. You can't have you can't walk off an airplane <laughs> and be greeted by dignitaries wearing a hat. It doesn't work. Yeah. Maybe they step up his hat game. I don't know. Making Mumbai great again. There he goes. Or just put yeah. spreading greatness. You know, my 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 aunt's. My nanas, my the ladies in my life, when they went and had their hair done, mm. they'd always just they had this little plastic thing they put over their head. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Tie my, it. My it, mom had one of those. It's like yeah. a hair net protector. Yeah, you buy them one of those. Oh, you could do that. I guess that would look pretty silly. It kind of did. <laughs> just get an umbrella. Oh well. Hey, uh, did you hear about uh, Pokemon not mm. allowed to be at a nuclear plant where there was a, a, na- a disaster? Because yes. it attracts people to the disaster site. Yes. So Pokemon Go has to solve this. And they go in, adjust the computer. There's got to be a way. By the Fix way, it. it's not just on the ground that you got to worry about nuclear radiation. This just keeps on going. Yeah. This is the song that keeps on giving. Have the chipmunks covered this yet? Or? I don't know. You know what? Ben will look it up. I'm sure they have. <laughs> I have the complete chipmunks album. Who was the last? Uh, the nuclear radiation is blowing in the wind. Who was? Who sang that one? Stevie Wonder. That was Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder. Yeah. Oh, it sounded, he sounded a little pitchy. Can you mention Pokemon? Yeah, go ahead. Pokemon News. Authorities, this is in New York. Authorities say a 62-year-old man playing Pokemon Go at night in the woods behind his home in New York became stuck in a waist-deep mud pit and had to be rescued oh boy another story athletes in uh the rio olympics they're uh, just getting into the olympic village they're finding there are no pokemon stops or gyms anywhere near the village so as you open up there's screenshots you open up it's a wasteland there is nothing to play it's like you're in the middle of my neighborhood (laughs) and there's just no way to play the game and so they're kind of they they can get that set up I don't know. I don't know if you can just make... Maybe they don't want one there. Maybe they don't. Uh, Pokemon Go player in uh, Toronto was nearly hit by a driver. Man. The guy was playing Pokemon as he was crossing the street, didn't see the car. The car almost hit him. Once the police showed up, the driver also admitted they were playing Pokemon Go. By the way, rule, wear a helmet when you go play Pokemon Go. And don't drive and try to play the game. That's right. 
Uh, we'll save this one for last because it's a positive story. Just Are these all negative? Nintendo losing more than, uh, was it, 1.5 billion yen, so $45 million loss, according to uh, analysts who were predicting a $4 billion gain. We'll hold it. Why are they losing? <laughs> because they have nothing to do with Pokemon Go, even though their stock went up because of it. They, anna- they announced to investors, they go, just remember, we have nothing to do with this game. They, we, we own a piece of the branding of Pokemon, but the game isn't. We, we're not. We're not going to benefit oh, from this. And so I their thought, stock price. I thought price Nintendo dropped. was what, like a third owner of the game. They have some investment in the but company, not but they're not going to get that much money out of it. So their stock price that was inflated, climbing last week, holy cow, plummeted. So if it inflates like that, then you sell and you can. Oh boy, yeah, that's so sad. Nintendo lost more money than expected. See, which is it's a, there's a virtual reality thing here. There virtually, is. when it comes to reality, there wasn't a lot of there there. And Just uh, virtually, that seemed like there was. In a story in uh, Salt Lake City, Pokemon Go continues to set records. A kid at uh, Primary Children's Hospital, yeah. a kid's hospital in Salt Lake, is there's a boy out there diagnosed last fr- last February with cancer. Some uh, students here at BYU came up with an idea. They realized they could grab a few mobile devices, use a screen sharing program, and allow the kid who's stuck in his hospital bed, to actually go play Pokemon Go. Oh, cool. So he doesn't have to actually get up to do it. He can, except wait till that gets in the hands of like the 400-pound. So the child can give directives to an actual person who's actually out around the hospital playing the game. That's cool. So he's at a desk watching on on the computer. He goes, no, do this, do that. And so they walk. So he's trying to give kids a a happy spin as they're in a horrible situation to play Pokemon And imagine being stuck as a child wanting to go play but you can't play and they find an answer again finding the good in the world it exists everywhere and our next guest will be able to help uh, all of us he's a he's a friend jim farrell is the author of the book the outward mindset um and you've heard other of other books he's he's been a part of leadership and self-deception the anatomy of peace these are all very big bestsellers out there in the corporate world as well. So we will um, we'll be speaking with Jim Farrell about how to, how, to, how to make it and take a goal and make it become part of your life, truly. How to integrate into a healthy habit. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, a year or so, a few years ago, I had a chance uh, to go speak to a company in Napa Valley at a winery. And um, when I got there, uh, I'm sitting down. I got this chance to listen to a guy named Jim Farrell speak. And he was teaching uh, from the book Leadership and Self-Deception. He was from Arbinger um, Institute, which you can find at arbinger.com. And uh, I was just enthralled. He's a great, great guy, and forever I've meant to have him on the show. Um, and, and then we found a way to do it. The book uh, he wrote a book called "The Outward Mindset," as well as other uh, books he's co-authored and, and been working on. "Anatomy of Peace" is a big book. These are all books you may have heard of from the Arbinger Institute. And I'm honored to have Jim Farrell joining us now to talk about how we can how we can figure out a new way to look at our lives from. From our inside, you know, me trying to make myself happy to to a more outward-focused life, Jim Farrell, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Hey, Matt. Thank you. It's great being on with you. Good to talk to you again. And talk to me, uh, Jim, when it comes to our mindset, it seems like, you know, we want success. And when we look at the country, everybody's offended by others. Everybody wants to set goals, um, but we don't seem to be able to unify. What do you what do you see is going on with our country, first of all, and how could maybe an outward mindset change some of that? Yeah, you know, you feel it, I think. I mean, you certainly feel it in our politics and in all kinds of uh, things. I mean, you watch the news, you, you see it in real time, uh, it seems, on a daily basis. There's this, sort of this schism. And what, one, way, one way I think to think about the schism in the country is to think about the schisms we can have within ourselves hmm. regarding other people. Uh, I mean, one way... One way that we can be, one way we can situate ourselves with other people is we can we can see them as people like we ourselves are. They have they have goals, they have dreams, they have needs. I mean, I, I've got those things too. They might be different. I mean, they likely are in many uh, respects, but we all have them. And and I can see others in such a way where okay, I'm going to regard them. As people, I'm gonna I'm going to respect their 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 desires and whatnot. Doesn't mean I, I will agree necessarily, but we'll be able to work together. We'll be able to work through them. We'll be able to openly listen to one another, think about each other's viewpoints. That's a that's a way of being with others that we call an outward mindset. That is that I I'm in relation to others in such a way where I'm alive to their needs, etc. So but, I'm actually I'm trying to connect to them instead of just staying in my view. Yeah, exactly, which which actually it's funny because well it's not funny, it's tragic. We can get in this other way where we're all internally focused, sort of cut off from others. I feel like the only goals and objectives that really matter are my own and therefore other people um really set up to me as really, they're more like objects in my life than mm-hmm. they are as people. I mean, I, I feel like it's other people's jobs to to help me get what I want and if they're doing that, I'll like them if if they're making it harder for me, I'll be frustrated by them. They'll just be obstacles in my way, et cetera. And we call that an inward mindset. Yeah. And and so now we all set up. I mean, I I'm sometimes in my life I have an outward mindset. Other times I have an inward mindset. Uh, and there there are real consequences to that sort of choice. I mean, right now, I mean, you see, I mean, you watch any newscast, you see the effects of an inward mindset everywhere. I mean, people, um, I mean, doing just terrible, heinous things to other folks, which you cannot do to someone that you're really seeing as a person. Mm. Um, if other people really count like you count, you cannot do those things. And, um, and in, in our politics, too, I think we would speak differently of one another, um, we would uh, we would consider viewpoints differently, perhaps, than we currently do. If we go in, and we engage with each other with an with an outward mindset. Yeah, uh, we'd have much more productive, I think, helpful outcomes. It, because otherwise, we just have a bunch of pieces of the puzzle fighting, and and I think we think it's noble because I'm fighting for my cause, for my people, for my distinct yeah. group. But I do it at the expense of being able to see everyone else's humanity. That's true, and I and, and and I also miss how my distinct group isn't so distinct from the other groups. I mean, right. We actually share a lot of things, but but we we end up vilifying one another, verbalizing each other, and then you then you can't hardly speak to one another. And um, in both our politics and our personal lives, it can kind of devolve into who yells the loudest. Mm-hmm. And 
um, and who can just marshal enough forces on your side to sort of to subdue the other side, which might look like a victory in the short term. But what happens, even if you even if you um, win such a quote quote unquote win such a victory, you set up to be um, so adversarial and at odds with one another going forward that it's very difficult to get anything done. Yeah. Which no, I think we also see in I, our countries. I, exactly. I, I mean, and so let, let me give an example, and then you help us see how it could possibly happen. I mean, okay. we, we saw, for example, um, uh, well, let me give you two, because these have been he, uh, heated issues recently. Uh, Pro-gay marriage, anti-gay marriage, LGBTs, ostracized, uh, pushed by believers in God, ang- people were angry and, 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 and sometimes could lovingly reject them, but sometimes unlovingly rejected them. Right. But, it, but it, what it did is it, I mean, I guess, you know, we, we, were, we were seemingly winning because we were fighting for our principle, but we created, it seems like, if we're not careful with this, we end up creating an enemy and a hostility that doesn't have to be an enemy. Yeah. And, and then it creates this division. And then anyway, so, so that was one example I've seen happening in the country because that was brought up by an author um, recently on the show. Mm-hmm. But another one is the gun issue where we there's pro-gun, there's anti-gun, and we fight and we fight with such power and anger and, and hatred and that we we don't see that we're all still trying to protect everyone yeah that's right i mean you, you know on both of those both of those examples there's another example i think that's really illustrative that can help around those and, and any other issues as well it actually comes uh, interestingly enough out of our military hmm. over the last you know 15 years uh you know there, there there's been a lot of fighting uh we've had troops in the middle east um and and uh there have been victories and there have been real setbacks but what, what military leaders uh, discovered through all of this was you can go in and you can win the war, as it were, but in order to actually build the peace, you have to engage with people on the ground in a different kind of way. Hmm. If they're just forever adversaries to you, they will resist you at every turn. Uh, they, won't, they won't be helpful. Um, they, you won't be able to, um, to obtain sort of a mutual trust that you need to have a society really working uh, and a culture working well together. Um, you know, in, in, in our new book, The Outward Mindset, we talk a lot about this. In fact, I mean, Chapter 1, you start in, uh, you're in a SWAT, you're in a SWAT team van in Kansas City. Hmm. Actual story. Oh, wow. Where, where they're going out after a couple of um, uh, mur- murder suspects, and they, 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 they have a no-knock warrant, so the SWAT team is going through the door unannounced with a battering ram, and, they, and so they, they burst into this home, only to discover that, yes, the two suspects are there, but a whole, a whole bunch of other people, mostly women, small children, even infants in arms, are, are there as well, about 25 or so people. So it's complete bedlam and, and uh, fear and terror. I mean, you can imagine, you can only imagine yeah. what it must be like for those people. Well, so these SWAT officers who have learned to engage with an outward mindset, um, meaning that, okay, even if we're breaking into a house, we're breaking into a house of people. I mean, these are actually human beings, and we may not agree with what we think they've done. We're not sure yet. Not, there's been no prosecution here, but, but we may not, we might, we might vehemently disagree with the things they've been doing, but they're still human beings, and um, that, requ- that, that requires an obligation of us 
And so they get safety uh, secure. They get these two men apprehended. They get everyone else gathered up in the dining room and home. And then, then uh, the, the, the SWAT commander, his name's Chip Huth, he was looking for his next in command. He needed help with something. He, he didn't see him in the room. So he walks down the hall, and here's his next in command. His name is Bob Evans. He, Bob is at the kitchen sink, and he's mixing up baby bottles. Oh, wow. Uh, and, um, you know, how often does that happen in a SWAT raid? I mean, this might be the first time in history something like that had happened. Right. But Bob, Bob had just seen the real human needs in the room. Uh, we've got the safety secured, so how can we be helpful? These mothers, these infants, they could use this. So he mixes up these baby bottles and distributes these to all the mothers and then start feeding the children. And this, this helped. This helped the the situation in the home to completely just de-escalate. Right. People are feeling helped. They're feeling seen. Um, the men that they've arrested are now uh, engaging differently than they would have otherwise. The resistance comes way down. Uh, that's just an example. That's and great. So this, this particular team in Kansas City, they started instituting this eight years ago. They used to um, They used to get... Uh, sued about three times a, a, a month. On average, you can imagine they're breaking right. homes and breaking up property all day long. But since uh, begin, be, since they began engaging this way, they have not had a complaint filed against them in eight years. Zero. Wow. And at the same time, they're 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 gathering way more, uh, you know, um, illegal guns, illegal drugs than they ever did in the past. So all their success metrics are sky high through the roof. But at the same time because they're engaging with real-life human beings. And this is interesting. I mean, we're talking about in very dangerous, right. volatile situations. You're still able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can do it, and it would be true in our politics, it would be true, it is true, too, in our, just our basic relationships in our home lives, for that matter, or in the workplace. Um, if you can institute the principles of an outward mindset to engage that way with people, um, things just turn out a lot better. Well, and I guess because that we we dichotomize it right where well yeah but you could get shot. Yeah. Well, well yeah, but you keep saying after the scene was secured. Right. I mean, you do what you have you do what you have to do. You're serving a warrant to a drug house or whatever. You you make it you make it secure. Once it's secure, yeah. though, become a human again. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's exactly right. And and yeah, one. Of, in fact, we've learned this from from people like SWAT leaders, the, the Navy SEALs that we also work with, for example. We've learned that from their in their experience, actually having an outward mindset that means being aware. I mean, think about it this way: in terms of safety, if I'm a police officer, I mean, it's certainly important today. Yeah. As we speak of it, if I have an outward mindset, what it enables me to do. It enables to be to be aware of all the things that are going on around me because they matter to me. Other people matter to me, so I can see, I can imagine what they might be up to, what their objectives might be. When I get really inward, I'm so self-focused. There are a whole bunch of things that I miss. Um, I and I and I box people up into sort of categories. I might go, well, this is a such and such a person. They're not a threat. This is another kind of person. They're not a threat. Well. When you see people as people and you're outward and you're in a dangerous environment, what you realize is yeah, a person is capable of anything. Right. So, so you know, having an outward mindset doesn't actually make you less safe. It actually makes you more safe. And at the same time, it enables you to engage in such a way, even when you're engaging with dangerous people, in a way that de-escalates um, uh, the possibility of other things going wrong. So... So for police officers, we, we do a lot of work now with police officers and agencies around the country. It's so critical. I mean, this work is right at the heart, I think, of, of the solution that's needed in all of our communities. Um, 
when they learn how to engage in such a way that A, keeps them more safe, and B, keeps all the community members more safe. Right, right. Uh, and, and gets you engaging together uh, as human beings, and you, you become more partnered up. It's not us against them. It's, no, we're together doing something yeah. here. And, and, you, and, yeah, you're more whole because you're seeing more of the whole picture instead of a part right. of the picture. Man, yeah. good stuff. We're speaking with Jim Farrell, uh, author of the book Outward Mindset from Arbinger Institute. If you go to arbinger.com, you can get more information about all of their tools, their workshops. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Jim's going to walk us through how to, uh, how to go about creating this outward mindset. Stick with us, folks, helping you see and become the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, life is complicated with all of our conflicts and just getting through life. Sometimes we do get so turned inward that we can't see the other person. We can't see the heart, the mind, uh, or even try to understand somebody that's different from us. We see it as we see political divisions. We see it when we talk about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, we dichotomize everything, and uh, joining us is Jim Farrell. Jim is a best-selling author and managing director of the Arbinger Institute, which is a management consulting firm and scholarly consortium that specializes in peacemaking for various organizations, families, and individuals. Uh, Jim earned his law degree at Yale and has authored several books, um, including three for Arbinger, Leadership and Self-Deception, The Anatomy of Peace, and The Outward Mindset, and also... Um, a more kind of spiritual focused one that is called Peace Giver, um, which which many of our listeners may have heard of. So, Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. This is groundbreaking. I mean, this the funny thing about Jim the, about these principles and all this content is it's just you know it's basic truth and universal kind of good principles, but it seems so new to all of us. Mm. Yeah, we can kind of get sideways. Um, with ourselves, yeah. realizing we're doing it, and and it's really helpful um, to to encounter a body of ideas that can sort of wake us up. I mean, wake us up and, and get us to turn back. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've forgotten something basic here that actually changes everything. It seems like um, a lot yeah. of what uh, the Arbinger Institute talks about is our biggest problems in life end up they're in our heads, they're in us. Mm-hmm. So we need to work on ourselves first. And everything else maybe second. That's right. I mean, when and, and when we say they're in our heads, they actually explode out of our heads, and then we see them in yeah. Then they're in everything reality around us because we we end up provoking the people around us to do the very things we are complaining about, um, and we don't realize that that's what we're doing, and so we get very invested in in blaming other people and worrying about how they're affecting us, and we and we're blind in those moments to. You know, we're actually not holding ourselves accountable to do the things that we're wanting the other people to be doing. I mean, we're not really worrying about our impact on them. Right. The moments we're worrying about others' impact on us, for example, we we blind ourselves to this. It's why these are all facets of this issue of self-deception, which was the first book we wrote here at Arbinger, Leadership and Self-Deception. Um, we get ourselves into place where we get 
we, we blind ourselves. We actively blind ourselves, actually, to what's actually going on and our own part in the troubles huh. that, that we see around us. What do we do to get this outward mindset where I can see the human in others and I'm trying to connect with their needs, their wants, I'm trying to understand them? How do we start that instead of kind of the natural man version of just self-protection? Yeah, you know, there's a, that's, that's the question, isn't it? There's a pattern that over years now, we've been working with people and organizations for, for 35 years, and there's a pattern uh, that we've seen over and over and over for those, either individually or in groups, who are, who are actually engaging this way with an outward mindset. And there's, there's three parts to this pattern. And, and one is, and you can, you can if, if you stay conscious about that, you can actually work on applying it actively. And we're all able to do this because we're all outward mindset in some right. parts of our lives right now already. And, and we're not in other places. And, and so this pattern, if we, if we start to apply it in these places we've been struggling, I think, I think people can see real impact, real change. So here's the pattern. The first, the first part of the pattern is to see others, to, to, to wonder, no, wait, who is this person? What are they up to? Uh, what challenges are they facing? What objectives do they have? What are their needs? All of those things. So that's part one in the pattern is to really start consciously um, uh, thinking about and, and learning about these other people. I mean, organizations, that would mean, look, in my role, I might, be, I might need to actively go out with the people I have responsibilities toward and, and engage with them to learn more about what their objectives are, what their needs, et cetera. You can do the same thing at home. So that's part one. Mm. Now, it turns out, if you get that right, if we really do that, and so I just invite everyone who might be listening, just go try this. I mean, try this today. Get really good today at seeing others. The people around, um, um, pay attention to them. See what you can learn about them, what they're up to, what their needs and objectives are, and then see what happens as a result. Because very often what will happen is if we do that right, the second part of the pattern will begin to happen naturally. And that is, the second part is, to adjust my efforts now, given uh, what I've learned. So here's this person, maybe it's someone I'm living with, maybe it's my spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, a neighbor, whatever. Um, I've learned now about a new need that I wasn't really fully alive to or some objective they're working on. I've heard them out more about that. Now, that's the seeing others part. Now, okay, is there something that I could adjust in what I'm doing so I'd be more helpful to that person around that issue? I mean, there might be some issues we disagree around, and I, I won't be making adjustments to help them around a particular issue. Maybe we have a different value set around that. But, but around other issues, I can be helping better than I have been. So that's number two, adjust my efforts. And then the third is very key. Um, the second one's interesting because it usually happens naturally if you get the first step in the pattern right, yeah. seeing others. But the third one doesn't necessarily happen naturally, and it's what enables this to stick. Um, and that is that um, those who are being outward mindset hold themselves accountable for their impact on other people. Not just I don't just pay attention to what I do and think, oh, man, I'm doing good things for others. Pat yeah. myself on the back. Look at me. Yeah, right. Look at me. It's the, wait, am I actually being helpful to this person? Hey, did this change I made, did it actually help them? Do I need to make some other adjustments? So we call that measure impact. So this, and this, then you iterate those three. And this combination of iterating those three, first seeing others, then adjusting my efforts based on what I see, and then measuring my impact, and then, and then that's all part of seeing others again and then, then adjusting mm. my efforts again. 
it's it's three basic, I mean, it's a very simple pattern to keep in mind, just simple enough you can actually remember it and do it. Um, and it and it turns us, I mean, it gets us out of these sort of inward patterns that we, most of us don't actually want to be in them. Yeah, right. Sometimes we don't even realize that we are. Right. And, and when we were like, oh, okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna turn the switch here, and we're gonna start going the other direction. We're gonna start by seeing others rather than start by hoping everyone else is seeing us what? and hoping everyone else is adjusting what they're doing to help us, et cetera, et cetera. Which is really the inward way of engaging. You know, Jim, it sounds like though the more kind of natural side of us would say, "Hold, hold, hold it, Jim. Yeah, that's nice," but. The reality is, I've tried this. It didn't work. Um, people need to learn to see me, and they need to learn to change. They need to change, and they need to measure how they impact me. So that that would be the very equivalent of me still having an an, an inside inward mon- mindset. Yeah, and that brings up what we talk about in in the outward mindset, which I, by the way, I wrote with one of my colleagues here, Warner. Um, it brings up what we call the most important move, and it's the key move, and it's the ability, it's the willingness to turn outward, even if someone else isn't. Uh, it's so easy to wait on everybody else. Uh, you know, well, this person needs to do such and such. And what, I, and what I don't realize I'm doing when I'm doing that is I'm actually inviting people to not change at all. When I, when, think about it this way. When I'm not changing... What I'm inviting in others is exactly the same thing, right. not changing. <laughs> and and so, um, so it looks like it takes courage, but it turns out that when I make that turn, um, it doesn't, since it doesn't make me less safe at all, it actually makes me more safe and more aware and all of those things. It doesn't make me stupid. It makes me more wise. Um, but it's what the world needs. It needs people, organizations, families, governments, countries, they need people who are willing to make the most important move, which is, I'm going to turn outward, and I'm not going to do it in order to make others turn outward. I'm going to turn outward and see others as people, because people is who they are. Hmm. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I'm turned away from that truth, I'm not being truthful myself, which isn't only hurting others, it's hurting me. Um, I'm, not, I'm not seeing things the way they are. I'll be trying to convince myself that I am. I'll be provoking others to do things that I don't like, not realizing that's what I'm actually doing, and I'm just surrounded by things that I complain about. So who's going to be courageous? Who is going to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn outward. I'm going to engage with others as people because people is who they are, mm. and I'm going to do that because that's the right thing to do. And it turns out when you do that, and we see this over and over and over, our, our work shows it, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about business, and it doesn't matter what industry. It doesn't matter if we're talking military, if we're talking family, education, politics. Um, a person who can turn outward invites uh, other people to, to um, misbehave less, to mistreat them less, and gives the, gives the other people the invitation and the chance to begin, uh, because they don't have me to fight against anymore, to right. actually turn outward back. Yeah, That's what the world needs more of. Um, it's it's the magic move, really. The magic move is a great name for it. Um, it's, I guess, too, because if I'm aligned to my values and I value turning outward and I'm not, then I'm going to start to create my own pain, my own anger, my own right. self-abuse. I mean, my own... And then that's probably what's fueling all of this other anger is everybody is becoming what they don't want to be. 
Yeah, and I won't think I'm fueling it myself. No, That's no, I'll blame you. Here. Right. I'll blame, yeah, you'll blame me. I'll blame you. And we'll all, um, in fact, I was, uh, I was uh, just an example of this. I was with a, a political leader, leader in Israel a number of years back, and he said, one of the things you need to understand, Jim, is that we and our enemies are perfect for each other hmm. because we each give the other reason never to have to change. Yeah. Um, we have these narratives about one another that keep us being exactly who we're being. Now, we do this. Now, it's easy to get mesmerized by the world stage and right now by our politics, but, but look, everything we're talking about is, uh, is alive and well, unfortunately, in our homes. Right, exactly. Um, and we get the politics that we deserve because of who we're being. Um, and so the place, uh, I mean, look, it's, we do this as a company, and we're, we're helping people at high levels to engage with an outward mindset because it turns out it's just a lot better for them and their organizations when they do that. It's way better for the bottom line. But, but the place really we all need to engage probably most of all is just in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Uh, how much better would we we be, our family be, you know, our immediate coworkers, our neighbors? How much better would that all be if uh, we started holding ourselves accountable for our impact on one yeah. another, rather than worrying about so much about everyone else's impact on us? And if we could just start to see each other and you know learn from each other and adjust to each other, I mean, it's no. oh, it's profound. Jim, you're the best. This is great stuff. Uh, they can get a hold of you again at arbinger dot com. Yes. And they can. I mean, there's great resources there. It's a company that's that can help you from every level, from the personal to the marriage, family level, all the way up to organizational. Yeah, that's right. Jim, thanks, great my friend. You, Matt. Yeah, thanks so much. Good talking to you. Keep yeah. up the great work. Wow, I'm telling you, folks, change. It's about us, right? It's about how we. Or, well, yeah, but the world presses in. And did you see what he did to me? Yeah, yeah. That's a person that's inwardly focused, and the only way out is. You become the change, right? Gandhi taught us that. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner, and to wrap up this second hour of the show, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become a healthier a person, the person you want to become. We'll be right back. You boy, you too stupid to do what your coach tells you. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back, friends. Uh, excellent work in our interview there with Jim Farrell. He really is, um, he's on to something here. And when I work with clients and couples, I cannot tell you. It's its almost every single couple. They're, they they just don't believe that uh they can do that. They could make a change themselves in themselves and make a change in their relationship by themselves. But one of my favorite quotes is two heads are better than one and one head is better than zero. I would rather that just at least one person gets the idea that the, of the outward mindset where my problem is I don't have enough Ability, skill, control, um, insight into who I'm dealing with in these other people. And if I could take, instead of just reacting to what they're doing to me, if I could actually turn it and go understand, go listen, go be impacted, then it would give me more and more power and more and more insight in how to create change and how to create a healthier life. Well, yeah, but what if the person's abusive? Right. If they're abusive, you got to be careful, but the principle still applies. 
if you're dealing with somebody that's abusive, it would be better that you pay attention and that you learn and you understand and you have an outward mindset instead of thinking their abuse is because of you. And then you go inward. I'm a loser. I'm no good. And then you shut yourself down and become something you're not. Over and over, I've seen these principles applied in the couples I work with. And it's one of the hardest things you can do because a lot of times when you listen to this, it induces some guilt because you're thinking, I'm, I'm a loser. But the mere fact when you're, when you're starting to process the guilt, um, you're starting to turn inward, aren't you? And inward's fine, except it's not going to change the situation. It's not going to change the scenario. So the outward mindset might simply be, how do I start to take the values and the principles I believe in and implement them with others? How do I say that I want to be, you know, a loving, caring, amazing, wonderful husband, except I, I don't do that with my partner? And if I, what if I don't see my partner as a person? What if I don't understand their needs? When I work with my clients, so many times um, I'll have a part, one of the partners say, I know, I know, she's been complaining about that for 20 years. And I'm like, okay, so have you tried to understand it? Well, she makes no sense. Okay, but have you tried to understand it? Then all we have to do a lot of times is sit down and start to understand it. But there's this weird game that we play where we all of a sudden think our problem is our spouse or our problem is, um, you know, they don't hug enough. They don't touch enough. And that becomes the big problem. And as long as I'm fixated on that problem of my wife not doing this or my husband that always does this, that problem is outside of me. And I'm not going to start to do anything with it. Three basic principles, basic steps, uh, seeing others, adjusting your efforts, and measuring your impact. It's called change, by the way. You got to change. Well, when when are they going to change? You can't worry about when they're going to change. You got to change. Well, you make it sound so easy. I know. And you make it sound so complicated. It's human nature. If you're mad, don't assume you're mad because someone else is violating your life. Why don't you just assume you're violating some principle? That's why you're mad. If you weren't violating a principle, you probably wouldn't have a need to be mad. Right? (sighs) You always blame me. I'm sorry. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you become a healthier, happier person and seeing the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number three of the program. Holy cow, we've had some good stuff. Talk politics. We've talked how you can become a change by... Uh, Focusing your energy outward instead of getting so caught up on your inward mindset, focusing your mindset outward. And uh, in this hour, we have got a lot to do. Holy cow, a lot of news to catch you up on. 
plus um, the power of marriage meetings. If I told you 30 minutes a week, you sit down with your spouse, talk, build each other, communicate, solve issues, create some changes, hold some accountability, do you think it would make an impact in your marriage? Well, according to our guest uh, in, in the show today, she would say absolutely. It's a fast, easy way to just get on the same page in your marriage and, and start creating something powerful together. We'll get to that as we talk about marriage meetings. Also, speaking of a marriage, we'll be going down to talk to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation because they're, they're virtually married. A marriage of sorts. A marriage of sorts. Uh, they're trying to sort through and, and have a healthy relationship. They have meetings for hours every day. They are seeking to become one. One show. United to help improve and educate around BYU sports. The name of the show is BYU Sports Nation. We'll be visiting with them. Plus, we've got, obviously, Hero of the Day. We would never do a show without mentioning a hero. Uh, the goal is to help you see the good in the world, and um, it happens. I think it's it's taking place. But first, we must uh, get to the news, and who better to introduce us to the news than Caitlin Thomas? Caitlin? Thanks, Matt. So here's your update on the Baltimore case. Baltimore prosecutors have dropped their cases against all officers who have yet to be tried in the death of Freddie Gray, bringing the case to an end without a conviction. However, the Baltimore City State Attorney's decision to not prosecute those cases makes a surprising end to a protracted legal saga for a fractured city, which erupted in riots and protests after the death of Gray while in police custody. Experts have said that the prosecution's inability to find a conviction in the previous trials highlighted the state attorney's Marilyn Mosby's overreach in charging the six officers in the death of Gray, who died of injuries sustained in the back of a police van last year. More updates are still to come. John Hinckley Jr., the would-be assassin who nearly killed President Ronald Reagan, will be freed after 35 years in a mental hospital, a federal judge ruled on Wednesday. The judge granted Hinckley, 61, permission to live full-time in the home of his mother in Williamsburg, Virginia, after finding that his continued treatment at St. Elizabeth's Hospital is no longer clinically warranted or beneficial. A Georgia man who won $3 million in lottery winnings has pleaded guilty to using his dough to invest in a drug-selling ring, federal prosecutors said on Tuesday. Ronnie Music Jr., who's 45, used his 2015 um, winnings to buy illegal drugs and supply it to others who would resell it at a profit, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Agents recovered more than $1 million worth of illegal substances, along with firearms, thousands of rounds of ammunition, and $600,000 in cash in the case. Two Good Samaritan vessels rescued 46 people Tuesday night who abandoned their sinking fishing boat in the Bering Sea off Alaska's um, island. The Coast Guard says there were no reports of any injuries as the new crew crew members were transferred from life rafts to the merchant ships in fairly calm seas, the Coast Guard reports. It was not immediately known what caused the fishing boat to begin taking on water. And last, and on another rescue story to help us um, have some good. good vibes. Good vibes. Today. Eight men were rescued on Tuesday from the fire lines on the south side of the Sobarans Fire burning near Big Sur in California. California firemen said the men went hiking five days ago and became lost with little water or food. Once the fire flared up over the weekend, the men said they were stranded and didn't know which direction would lead them to safety. Um. Bulldozing crews spotted the men Tuesday, and Cal Fire used air support to locate them. Search and rescue crews from the Monterey County Sheriff's Department, along with the bulldozer operators, evacuated the men to a campground, and all of them are reported to be okay. Woohoo! So, good story. Woo! We're grateful for all of those that helped in the rescues. Yeah, that's good news. Yes, and the fire apparently is under control, so things are good. Ah, oh, good. There's some... Again, thank heavens people will go do that. You know what I mean? Thank heavens you have somebody that will pull you out of a problem. 
Otherwise, we're just all walking dead. Not to be gross or weird. But um, thanks, Caitlin. Good stuff. We, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so much that it's hard to know where to start. If you're watching the um, conventions, you see that, man, these, these organizations have spent a lot of money to stage a huge event. Yes. And they've got these ornate, incredible stages that you would think would, you know, be at a Bruce Springsteen concert. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it'd be probably the same companies that would build those sets, that would build like the, the concert sets right. they travel with. Uh, last night, uh, Elizabeth Banks, I believe is her name, the actress, she kind uh-huh. of uh, mocked Trump's entrance. Right. With Queen and lights and the raising of the, the yeah. podium. But they that's the, the stage has the same functionality. It's it's a rock show. Now, the way they have designed the sets apparently have specific reasons. Okay. Now, whoever designed them hasn't actually spoken, but the, the uh, Wired magazine talked to some people who are design experts. Okay. Looking at why you do things, what's right, the imagery right. being shown, that kind of thing. It says the Republican uh, convention set featured two 76-foot wide LED screens, one bending towards the audience and the other curving back, flanked by uh, towering metal blades. Right, that's kind of how their set was Scary. set up. I haven't thought of it. As he says blades. the inward screen was the uh, backing for the person standing at the lectern, and that would draw the people into watching the speaker. Okay, yeah. Right. Um, they also they said the other one uh, they designed it so that it would uh, look like a rock concert, and so you had the the screen up top, and that usually right. had like Trump and gold letters, yeah, and then you had cool different uh, background-type imagery stuff behind them in the curved right, screen right. that sucked them and in. They had, and they had some problems with their screens they did. on the first day. That caused some frustration as it, as it kicked out. They said, uh, you know, of course you have the red, white, and blue. They call it uh, the foreground. The men, it was, uh, everything was focused on the lectern because that's what you're going to – yeah. Your focus on and try to, to put forth that idea. And the whole idea, even the, the entrance of Donald Trump, even though it was made fun of, the whole point and it achieved its goal was oh, to yeah. make him look like an icon. Oh, totally iconic. They, that whole thing, Jimmy Jimmy Fallon made fun of it the night before. <laughs> and if you watch, Trump kind of comes out just walking. Right. But he kind of looks like he's shuffling, kind of yeah. stumbles out. His <laughs> hands aren't moving and thumbs up here. And just kind of, you know, the, the way Trump, his mannerisms, <laughs> and then you see everyone mocking him. Yeah. That becomes iconic to Trump. That's right. how he came out. He'll go down in history. For the Democrats, their stage in Philadelphia and Wells Fargo, by comparison, resembles a newsroom or an office. Mm-hmm. It features navy blue carpet. And the big screens, the DNC has not released the names of the design firm it worked with, nor is it respond to requests as to what's there. But they said the intent of the stage seems pretty clear. The design of the Democrats does reflect a big party thinking, uh, says a creator of uh, the 2012 GOP stage. So he's looking at it like, what what are they trying to present? And they're trying to put forth something serious, something with uh, that you can rely on. This is it's, some integrity here. The carpet is has stars around it, so it looks like the Clinton Global Initiative or Global, whatever they're calling it. Right. It has. It looks like Clinton Global Initiative's logo. Um, it also seems like their stage is out more in the middle of the place, with more people closer to the to the the goings on. Did you, by the way, see Stephen Colbert rushing trying to get on the stage? Yesterday. At the Democrat convention? Uh-huh. Did he make it? Uh, well, so he tried and tried and tried. And he's kind of doing this little weird, like, Julius Flickerman 
Hunger Games inspired persona where oh, he no, has it, a ferret. It, it's the Hunger Games guy. Is that the guy? Because he's yeah. he he's sent off every single uh, every <laughs> single person who's ran for president when they declare their That's right. that they're done. He's you know sent them off as they do in the Hunger Games when they die. His game was to get on to the set, but they had all the security keeping him off of. They wouldn't let him on the stage. They now wouldn't was it let him on the was stage. it staged that way? I don't think so because he got on the Republican one, the Republican stage, but it was staged. Well, th- this one it wasn't like it was. Well, he was I don't think so because anything. they showed for about ten minutes him trying to walk back and forth with ten or so security guards. Walking, creating a wall between him and the stage, and they kept okay. telling him, "No, no, 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 no." I'll have to watch it. Then he walked away, and then at the last second, ran up, got up three steps, jumped up higher, rolled onto the stage, <laughs> and security surrounded him. I'll have to watch. And he stood up. Sometimes, in sometimes you can tell actors versus actual yeah, security. This was pretty real because uh, you could tell the guy in charge wasn't liking this situation. But you can't. What do you do? Make a scene with Colbert? Yeah. That'll make more news. Because so. he just throws that on the camera. All the security <laughs> just kept. And they're in their suits with their earpieces. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll post it on our Twitter page as well, at Dr. Macho. So, uh, again, the stages matter, but millions of dollars spent on this stuff, and it'll just be tough. And it's this sort of subliminal imagery so yeah. that they project a, an image and a message beyond the spoken word. Beyond the spoken word. Which, in the end, it probably won't matter because it comes no. down to two people. And you got to pick one. Well, it'll matter because whoever's convention just ends the next week, they get about a three to five yeah, point bump. Exactly. And, and then it all settles down a week later and we have the actual number, which is probably they're still separated by at least two points. If we really thought these sets were going to matter much, then we should probably let Hillary wear hers for the next 90 days <laughs> <Right>. and let, <laughs> let Donald wear his. Because the reality is it's still all cloaking Hillary and Donald. Yes. All of this is just gamesmanship. Mm-hmm. What's that? What do you call it? It's, it's don't look at the man behind the curtain. It's trickery. It is. Sleight of hand. Sleight of hand. Shenanigans, we call it. In other news, yeah. Pokemon Go caused an international incident. What? The virtual map of this uh, place around New York. Actually, this happened, was this in Montana? Yeah. Two youths unaware of their surroundings when they were playing Pokemon Go on their cell phones made an illegal border crossing this week from Canada into the U.S. (laughs) in a remote part of Montana, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Just trying to get Pokemon, eh? The two who were not identified were found by the Border Patrol agents Thursday with their attention fixed on their phones as they were trying to hunt down the cartoon characters. And uh, the journey took them across the border. Just out and about. They were then retrieved. Boat. The juveniles were, as they say, captivated by their Pokemon Go phone uh, on their phone. Games. And they took them to a nearby border patrol station so their parents could retrieve them. See, that's why you need a wall to keep all the kids inside the country from going to another country. I don't know. I'm just saying. Just kind of frust- it, it It's becoming less and less interesting to me. Yeah. There's so much of an effort to try to actually play this game that's like ah, i don't really care anymore have you ever played this game what there's, is it? there's a new game the kids are playing what's that apparently um a pennsylvania woman's house her front porch was vandalized by some boys who hurled a melon hmm. filled with spaghettios what kind of melon ah uh, they didn't say i don't think is um, it a watermelon uh police for say the mischief makers struck the home of a 47 year old woman they threw a small watermelon at her front door steps, smashing it uh, against the steps, but it was filled with SpaghettiOs. Hmm. What a waste. So my question is, seeing as I'm not a huge fan of SpaghettiOs. 
Yeah. Would the watermelon improve or make worse the SpaghettiOs? Oh, it would. Flavor-wise. Ah, it would improve it. You think the watermelon-flavored SpaghettiOs would be oh, good? sure. Mm, I, don't I know. think that would be great candy. What about a cantaloupe? Nah. No? Cantaloupe makes Honeydew? my throat itch. Makes my throat itch for mm, some reason. Okay, well. Mel- watermelon's the perfect, and I guess a smaller one is a perfect throwing device. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you get a, they make kind of a mini one. It's like a big softball or a mini basketball type yeah. sized watermelon. They could, I could see you throwing those. I think what you need to do when you catch these kids, line them up against the wall and let this 47-year-old lady have Adam. With? Melons. Ooh. We just start tossing melons. Okay. With filled with not, not filled with SpaghettiOs, filled with something else. Ooh. Um, What's something that they would hate? Radishes. <laughs> I get you with radishes. The radish. Radishes don't squish like that, though. Yeah, spaghettios. That's pretty gross. These it's kind kids, of mean too. It's very mean because that it makes but, a mess. You got to clean it up. Exactly. You're they, obviously not going to know about it if it's hot. That spaghettio is going to bake right there on your doorstep. And there's a lot of Yuck. stories about how much food we waste. Yes. So you, I mean, really, if you're gonna, if you want to have fun with that, go throw it down to people that. <laughs> A, would love SpaghettiOs and would benefit, but don't throw it. Just break it in half and then feed them half a melon full of SpaghettiOs. Be a giver. Right? Squish. Squish. Well, uh, interesting. Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking marriage meetings. 30 minutes a week. Do you think this would work? 30 minutes a week, you and your spouse sit down and have a meeting to, to, you know, mend fences, to bridge the gap, to create connection set some goals. We'll be speaking with a therapist uh, that talks about uh, the power of these meetings. She's going to teach us how to do it. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's it's a big deal. Marriage, it's not easy, and it's it doesn't have to be as hard as we may make it. Did you know that the average couple spends as few as four minutes a day talking to each other? No wonder it can be so hard to figure out what your partner is thinking or what they want. After being married for a while, couples get so used to finishing each other's sentences that they forget to let the other person talk sometimes. Small details like simple conversations can get lost in the everyday to-do lists. And today, licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist Marsha Naomi Berger joins us to discuss her book, Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love. She's going to tell us how couples can conduct a weekly gentle conversation that increases intimacy, romance, teamwork, and smoother resolution of conflicts. Welcome to the show, uh, Marsha Naomi Berger. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, well, thank you very much, Matt, for having me on your show. I'm glad to be here. You bet. Now, you go by Naomi. Naomi, talk to us about what drove you to do this. You're a therapist. Where did you come up with this idea of just the 30-minute meeting? Oh, okay. It was a um, a gradual process that turned into a book, kind of an organic process. When my husband and I first got married over 28 years ago, even though I was already an established couple and family therapist who was teaching other therapists 
how to do couple and family therapy. When I got married, it was still like a new experience because you're not objective when it's your own situation. So I knew I had things to learn. Right. And my husband and I learned about a class for couples called Time for a Better Marriage. We were getting along okay. It wasn't like a big crisis. It was just like, let's learn. And um, we were the only couple in Marin County that signed up for the class. So Hmm. I used to joke, um, we were the only ones that had room to grow. And um, it was a very nice class. This wonderful woman taught it just for the two of us. It was about eight weeks. About five minutes or less was devoted to the idea of having a weekly marriage meeting with a four-part agenda. Hmm. And that was the one thing that we took from the class that we kept doing. And as we did it, we refined it. And eventually, we, um, I ended up giving seminars to other people and teaching my clients how to have marriage meetings and writing articles, and it evolved into the book. That's... It took years, you know, from the beginning until the book actually came out. Well, it's it's interesting. I, I do a lot of uh, communication coaching, relationship coaching with couples where we teach them to talk and resolve problems. And where we found they have the biggest impact is once they've learned the skills and you teach them how to do an agenda that's pretty fulfilling, you turn them to each other and they start just naturally improving their systems, their their life. Exactly, and that's the value of the weekly marriage meeting. You get practice, practice, and more practice in using the skills, Um, and I have outlined them step-by-step in the book. And we find that, uh, as my husband and I found at the beginning, the meeting could take a long time if you were going to put all your backed-up stuff into it, unfinished business. That's a common way of describing it. Um, But that's not productive to try to do everything at once. So we say eliminate um, anything that's going to take more than 45 minutes for the whole meeting. And um, as you get used to having them, you can often do them in 30 minutes or less. Does, Does anybody ever push back on you, Naomi, and say, you know, we're not a business. We don't need to formally sit down and have a meeting. We could just talk about it whenever. Yeah, and when is whenever going to happen? Right. That's the problem, Television, huh? Television, books, uh, <laughs> business concerns. Uh, so There's so many distractions. Uh, th- that's why, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that uh, this dismal statistic where the average couple spends four minutes a week conversing. <laughs> That's crazy. Four minutes a day. Now I can't remember yeah, which it was. It was four minutes a day uh, minutes talking a day. to each other. Yeah. And yeah. It, there's issues. Things come up. And if we can't talk about it, then I guess we just have to make assumptions. We just assume stuff's happening. Or, or sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. And so it uh, comes uh, back to haunt us. What do you do if, if you are somebody who, who would like to hold these meetings, but you can't get buy-in from your spouse? Yeah, that's a very common objection. Now, sometimes the person who says, my partner won't do it, has their own reservations about doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's assume that um, one is into the idea 100% and the other is kind of uh, not really sure or or resistant. And then we try to look into why. And a common fear is that the person is going to get criticized by his spouse or long laundry list of uh, to-do things, what about this and that and that, and that could feel overwhelming and actually frightening. Uh, So it's important to make sure that 
the initial meeting once you, and I'll talk about how you might secure mm-hmm. agreement to have an initial meeting, but it should be focused heavily on appreciation and really um, nothing too heavy discussed. Just get used to the idea of having the meetings until you get comfortable with the meetings because it is an artificial structure, like you say, and people might say, oh, it's not romantic, but what really happens is that once people get used to them and use the communication skills effectively and follow the agenda, there's more intimacy, there's more romance, and there is a um, better teamwork and smoother resolution of the challenges. Now, let's say uh, it's not always the husband, sometimes it's the wife, but typically women are more verbal, so more open to talking. And um, one thing a wife can say to her husband is, I'm not asking for a lot, you know, let's just try it one time. Yeah. Not not yeah. in this for life. Let's try it one time. Especially maybe the husband wants something like I want to go to this particular uh, event with you, and maybe you don't want to go. Say okay, let's let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go to that. You have one little marriage. With, yeah. You know, and then you make it a really really nice experience. Think of everything you because the first agenda item is appreciation. And that's when you want to really load it on your partner, all the things that you value that happened in the last week. Man, that's – I mean, I guess that's it. If there's, if there's hesitancy, it's, it's just because we haven't done it enough. We, we're, we're a little tentative. We're worried about it. But once we've done it a lot, because there's going to be a moment where you need to learn – you need to know how to sit down and handle a tough issue better later – I mean, better to do it sooner than later, right? Definitely. Get that get that skill down. Well, I mean, let's. A, the, yeah, oh, go ahead, you know, go ahead. as a coach, probably yeah. I know as a therapist, and coaching is part of therapy. I think when it's good therapy. Yeah. Um, and uh, we know that the reason people come in generally is that things have been swept under the rug for too long, and/or they don't have the communication skills to know how to rectify That's situations right. or prevent them from happening. That's right. And I, I love um, – we, we all know communication is important. One of the things I learned as a kind of a social psychologist was that the communication is what creates the meaning. It's how we can change the symbols in our lives. And, I mean, there's a lot of symbols in marriage that start to become problematic. Kids, money, sex, you know, religion, chores, all these things are symbols that need to be negotiated. And if we don't ever meet and talk, we don't negotiate them very well. Right, and there can be a lot of mind reading and assumptions that um, if we don't check them out, then we don't uh, really connect and we are kind of keeping ourselves from growing. That's right. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Naomi Naomi Berger. Marsha Naomi Berger. Yeah, yeah, Marsha Naomi Berger. Um, Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love is the name of her book. You can go to her website, marriagemeetings.com. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion and uh, see if we can't uh, learn how to hold these meetings. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Townsend Show. Does your marriage need a pick-me-up or just even, hey, just some stability and some some uh, strength so that it can grow forward in a healthy, loving way? Well, maybe a marriage meeting is what is, is needed. 
Joining us is Marsha Naomi Berger. She's the author of the book Marriage Meetings for Lasting Love, and she's here uh, teaching us about the power of these meetings. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you being with us today. Oh, thank you, Matt. I'm very glad to be here. You bet. Talk to us about kind of the agenda. And I know in the book you talk about it, you walk everybody through the steps, but what are the things that should be part of this meeting? So the four steps of the meeting, and this is a really, it it sounds structured, but it's pretty loosely structured because these are just the general categories, and then you fill in, the couple, each person can fill in how they want to approach each category. So the four Categories are appreciation, chores or responsibilities, planning for good times, and then discussing problems or challenges. Hmm. And uh, the first part, appreciation, each person takes an uninterrupted tone saying exactly what they like about the person now and during the past week since the meeting is designed to happen every week. So whatever um, can be simple things like I like the way your blue shirt brings out the lovely blue color of your eyes and it could be I appreciate how um, all the delicious meal you cooked on Wednesday night. (laughs) Um, That was, let's see, what did you make? Um, Eggplant Parmesan, you made my favorite. Thank you very much. So um, anything, really, you know, I appreciate you visiting my aunt with me, even though, um, you know, you had a lot on your plate, but you took the time out, and I really value your support. That's great. And so it's really about figuring, it's about making sure we're seeing what's good, what's working, what's positive. Talk about what we appreciate, um, and I guess that kind of gets into the positive psychology world, right, where we're, we're identifying the good in the, the good in the world. Right, and it's that's a basic premise of social work is you do build on people's strengths. Yeah, and then and then I guess we get a little more technical about chores and planning, like because this is just the day in day out stuff. It sounds like, but it's important to make sure we're we're balancing the workload and how we feel about what's going on and what we want to do. Yeah, this is how we build teamwork, and we also prevent nagging and grudges. So yeah. marriage meetings are very proactive because if we take care of things promptly, then there's no reason for holding grudges and uh, you, know, you don't have to uh, let things pile up every week. Things get taken care of. If they don't, uh, then we say, okay, Rome wasn't built in a day. We have next week to follow up on it. Mm-hmm. And I guess as part of this, um, this, this meeting could be 30 minutes, no more, you say, I guess, than like 45 minutes, right? Yes, because we get tired. We, my husband and I actually figured that out. I'll give my husband credit because when um, when he, it, it also goes with the guidelines. The guidelines are you want to have your meeting when you're both well rested. You don't do it too late at night, and uh, and and you don't make it last more than forty five minutes because we can get kind of cranky or overwhelmed if right. we don't really have the energy for it anymore. So we want to come in when we're not hungry and we're sober and we're. Uh, we're not too tired, so we noticed then when we, we started meeting too late, um, we would get cranky. Right. <laughs> my husband said, we've got to start these, you know, or he didn't say we have to, he'd say, you know, he thought we should. It would be better to start the meetings earlier so that we're in a good frame of mind for them. And, and you know, we're human, so we all have our little <laughs> things <laughs> that we have to adjust for. But certainly we don't want to be having a serious discussion when we should be sleeping. Hmm. I mean, again, these are all things that we we figure out in our marriages anyway, but 
it, if we don't have to do it after 55 times of them making – like calling me a certain name, don't call me that name, then we got to talk about it. We, we could learn this early just in the meeting and just say, oh, by the way, I really don't like it when you call me this name. Um, and then I, I always call it making a rule. Then all of a sudden out of this, we, we just make a rule. We understand that, okay, I, I don't do that. And then when I quit doing it, it, it seems like an easy way to just – Keep learning, and I'm I'm actually rededicating myself in every meeting to being better. Right, and what we want to do with the I don't like you doing this is what I would like you to to do instead is because it's hard to stick with something that's like a negative expectation, and it's much easier to um, frame it as what I would like instead mm-hmm. because of the premise that the unconscious does not recognize a negative. Like mm-hmm. if I say to you, don't think of a pink elephant, what are you going to think of? Yeah, a friend. Okay, so if I say, yeah. don't, don't nag me, okay. That's right. <laughs> nag, nag, nag. It's one that's going to stick in my head. I'm a nag, I'm a nag, I'll keep nagging. So so we do have to try to be alert to that. And, and then, it seems like, yeah, go ahead. Go it's ahead, very then. natural for some reason. You know, maybe it's like from being uh, way, way back when, when we had to worry about these... Um, Actually, with the way we are, the world is now, we have to worry also about a lot of um, scary things. But um, there's something in our brain, I think, where we, we we're kind of alert to bad things that could happen. Right. And and that so so it's like an automatic thing uh, we, that we want to reverse if we want to have you know connect better with our partners instead of saying um, what we don't want too often. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. we just have to, but, but but to try to reframe it also to what I would like instead is. What do you... you know, um, like if you're angry with me, I'd like you to make an I statement and say, um, it upsets me when you do blah, 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 or mm-hmm. it hurts my feelings when you do that. I, I'd really appreciate it if, if you're angry with me. If you just say, I don't like it. You know, I'd rather you do such and such. Or yeah. It makes me uncomfortable when you do such and such. And and learning is, I guess, the key to this. This turns us into a couple, a learning couple that right. we're not learning assuming. And growing. Yeah, we don't mm-hmm. assume we married the one. The we, we're we're becoming the one. Exactly. I heard of a couple. Um, it was an arranged marriage. I I read about this uh, some time ago. Where this couple arranged marriage uh, from they were from India, I believe, and they were turned out to be a very happy marriage. And she said, we don't think of ourselves as human beings. We think of ourselves as human becomings. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that's part of the goal here. And once we've kind of sorted through everything that we know is good and appreciative that we appreciate, we've talked about, you know, chores and housework and what jobs need to be done and we're planning and we've got our weekend plan for the good things and our trips coming up. Then you just say, spend some time discussing the problems. You gave us right. some, some keys on that. And then um, we talk it out. And then how do we wrap up this couple's meeting? Oh, that's a really good question because sometimes people say, oh, well, you're ending with talking about problems and challenges. You know, that could be kind of downer. Right. But it, it really isn't because um, usually you get a nice feeling of resolution. And, and then uh, I also encourage people to thank each other for meeting and you can express your appreciation with a handshake, a hug, or you know, a nice smile. But but definitely thank each other for meeting. That's great. And then, you know, go watch TV or go right. you can, you might do go, whatever. You know, you... 
frankly, you know, a lot of times we might just go off on our own. We've had our intense, yeah. our intense yeah. time together. Now, now we uh, take a break and go process and, and figure out, you know, what you can do. I think it's powerful. And if anything, just just simply having time, making time for each other, that's got to be beneficial in and of itself. Definitely. And, you know, we kind of skipped over the date part, but that's really, really important. The, the planning for fun uh, should include the um, well-known idea, but not followed enough of having a, a weekly date with yeah. just the two of you. I mean, and how great is that? Well, you don't have your marriage meeting on your date. That's a separate occasion. Yeah, there you the go. date is totally to nurture yourselves and each other and kind of get to the place more like when you were courting before you got married mm-hmm. where everybody was just having a nice time, daydreaming out loud, etc. Yeah, that's great. Well, we appreciate it. Marsha Naomi Berger and your great work on marriage meetings. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you again for having me here. You bet. Go check out the website, marriagemeetings.com. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour, helping you uh, love stronger, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. One is the loneliest number. Two can be as bad as one. But when you have three of us together, it gets crazy. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Today, it's Jerem Jordan and Jason Shepard. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for playing Filters, ver- creepy version. It's a very whiny of version of this yeah. song. Yeah. It's <laughs> you, you nailed that, Jerem. That's really good. You got the wine down. Well, I went to a rock concert last night, so I'm... Did you? I got, I got the... Yeah. So you're half I got, deaf now. I got Dan. Yeah. Huh? You can't... What? Yeah. Huh? You talking to me? Hey, um, you guys, you're healthy? You're happy? You got a big show coming up? Absolutely. There, there's lots going on. We're, we're actually going to continue the Big 12 discussion. Okay. But with a twist. Sigh, but Ooh. with a twist. We're going to talk about hoops, what impact or benefit... Okay. Boy, basketball would have if they were in the Big Twelve because that conference is really stinking good. Yeah, that could be. That could be. I guess it'll pick up everybody's game, but you might not ever win. And how? And, we'll, and, and does that matter? Yes, we'll discuss Ooh. how bad you can be and still make the NCAA tournament. That's. I, I was a little surprised because BYU's had to be like pretty good to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they wouldn't have to be pretty good anymore. Be, just because the Big Twelve will send so many. They send a lot of teams. They send a lot. They'll tell you exactly how bad you can be. You know, we talk so much about the Big 12 expansion with football and the opportunity to have Texas and Oklahoma coming into Lavelle Edwards Stadium. But just imagine the Marriott Center, you know, in, in January having the Kansas Jayhawks coming into Provo. I mean, mm. the thought of that is, <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> that would be incredible. Holy cow. And there's a new Cougar. There is? There's a new Cougar. L.J. Rose. Who was with Houston, the Houston Cougars? He's not related he's to Davis. He's a basketball player, graduate transfer. He's uh, so LJ's dad played uh, on Five Slamma Jamma with Dave Rose. Oh, really? So now, as a graduate transfer, LJ Rose, who had a medical redshirt last year, he can play immediately for the Cougars. 
<laughs> was a 6'3 dude that when he was healthy as a sophomore and junior averaged nine points a game and five assists. Why don't you, why don't you throw, Matt, the, the stat that you had about the ESPN oh. top one? Th- listen to this. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So out of high school, ESPN ranks the top 100 players in the country, right? Mm-hmm. BYU rarely gets one of these. Uh, going into this season the, on this roster, of the guys when they were out of high school evaluated by uh, ESPN, BYU will have six of those What? Guys. Yeah. Six so, top 100 players on the roster this season. Mika, Nick Emery, yeah. TJ Haas, those three. And then Yoli Childs, Peyton Dastra back from Mission, Yoli Childs, a freshman from Bingham, and now LJ Rose. Now, is LJ Rose a top 100 player in college basketball? Absolutely not. But he's a guy that has some talent, has been a little injured, and can provide uh, some significant minutes, maybe even off the bench right away, uh, for the Cougars. That is that is big, and, and not to mention the fact these guys know how to play with each other. Yes. So that yeah, ad, that's they, like having a sixth man on the court. The lone pick three, yes. It w- there'll be a little learning curve at the start. And sure. Terry Nash, of BYU assistant coach, we call him the Twitter ninja, <laughs> uh, he'll be on BYU Sports Nation today to discuss LG Rose, to discuss the backcourt, to discuss the Big 12 conversation, like what that has to do maybe with hoops and what it would mean if BYU got in there. We'll gauge his thoughts. Not to mention the... Uh, the rena- or the uh, construction of the Marriott Center Annex, mm-hmm. which we affectionately call the YMCA. <laughs> the um, y. We'll talk to him about that. Have you have you seen it? I have. You, I look it at it every day. I can't. Yeah. It's it's my favorite pastime. I used to want to chase Pokemon, but now I just watch <laughs> construction workers. It's fantastic. Is, is the new Marriott Center Annex a, a Pokestop? Do we know? Oh yeah. Well, actually, Pokestop. A little bit. A little bit up behind it. Yeah. But I, I think they're going to make it into a gym, a pokey gym. Pokey gym. I still don't know what that means. but I don't know, but I think it involves a guy named Jim. I went to Weezer last night, and my sister-in-law was very excited when we pulled up to USANA Amphitheater mm. because she said, oh, this is a pokey stop. Sweet. <laughs> and I thought, aren't we here to see a concert? <laughs> see, you know what's so funny? The minute I say I went to Weezer, my wife just grabs my albuterol <laughs> and helps me. You pulled a what? <laughs> I, honey, I'm starting to wheeze. I need my asthma medicine. Hey, okay, here, guys, I solved your problem. Not that you have a problem. But you know how there's a few months where sports kind of, it goes a little thin in the sporting arena where there's We've not always that, as much yes. news? Okay, have you guys ever looked up... The tumbleweed goes by. Go look up Medieval Combat World Championships. This is the coolest sporting thing event you've ever seen. These, these guys from different countries, right now we're watching the United States and Poland. And by the way, Poland is having their way with them. They dress up like knights in medieval armor, and then they beat the crud out of each other. With real weapons that aren't sharp, I guess, they pound on each other. It is the scariest sport you've ever seen. So this is not the that group of 14-year-olds that you see in the park? No. Uh, swinging. This is their fathers. Wooden swords. Uh-huh. And they are, they're like denting each other's helmets with, one guy got an axe stuck in another guy's helmet. And until you can take the person down and they're on the ground, then they're still alive. It is the craziest sport you've ever seen. Do you think that's a sport? This This is wild. Isn't it? It's scary. Yeah. Did you see that? And the men got killed by the Polish. See, this is where you level the field. And it doesn't matter. Take all the steroids you want. I'm going to hit you on the head with an axe. 
Yeah, you're going to need steroids crazy. to be able to keep up with this. I think BYU That's needs BYU a team. BYU versus Houston. I know. And, and by uh, what, what's great, the Big right you now. could have you could get into the history of it. You could get into the poets. You could get into you could have a maypole. Whatever you want. I'm what, just telling you guys. World? I know. It's violent, isn't it? I've never. I, I thought, oh, hey, yeah, there's got to be rules. We don't hit heads. No, these guys are like trying to take someone's head off. Like, like is there like a referee will throw out yeah, like a, like yeah. a, where is like this a penalty be, flag? Where is this being uh, this, played? Because if it's in Poland, I fear for the safety of the. Uh, it, it, there's there's crowds. If you watch it long enough, there's big crowds. But it's it's in Malbork, Poland, I guess, or Malbork. I don't know where that is. Um, this is not. There, it I looks know. like there were three teams in there. No, that, the others were just. Those were the squires. They're just they're just there to help. Make I'm sure watching that... a guy hack at another guy's mm-hmm. leg. I know. While with, another like hits him in the, the with a, in with the a, with an axe, right? Like with yeah. a with a knife, with a big sword. They're just pounding on each other. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just saying, mm. BYU. I think it would be educational. You could have people. You could have you know. Inspirational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Motivation. Yeah, but would they have to make some uh, some concessions for BYU to have a team? So well, you couldn't play, on, play Sunday. on Sunday. Yeah, you couldn't fight on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, we fight. It's just not on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can fight every other day of the week. Just yeah. don't fight on Sunday. Anyway, I'm just thinking you guys need to throw that up to Tom Holmo. See if he's interested. Add this. Uh-huh. We don't have to get into the jousting side. That's a whole other game. But this is full-on medieval combat. And, you know, it did remind me of the Memphis game a little bit. Not going there. <laughs> you can't. I just too did. soon. Too soon. Man. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> it's, it's too soon. It's but keep watching it, and then um, let me know if we're going to take it on or not. That's all I want to know. Okay. Hey. Well, we uh, we won't let you know. Okay. And have a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Knock them dead, you guys. Seriously, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Love you. Peace out. Stay sweet. Stay sweet. Weezer. <laughs> he went to a Weezer concert. But I'm telling you, two little sprays of albuterol with your inhaler. Weezer's gone. It'd be a either concert. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I was going to bring it up. I didn't have time to bring up uh, this, I think, a crazy story about salad cake. Salad cake. Is that a great it's idea? It's a trap. It's a trap. They're starting to make cakes that are really they're, – they're not cakes. It's a bait and switch. And the cake looks like a colorful dessert, but when you take a closer look, it's vegetables in the middle of the cake. You're a monster! Exactly. Not mounds of colorful frosting. It's You'll like have veggies and, you know, carrots cut up and, and grated and it, all of these different really creative ways to make a cake, but it's all filled up with vegetables. And there's a bread in it, and the bread is like gluten-free, low-carb bread made of soy. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Yeah, Ben's not liking this. He's into ice cream. I think it looks fantastic. If the frosting, because the, there's frosting on it, but it's not frosting. It's I'm assuming it's part of the, you know, if it's Thousand Island dressing, that'd be fantastic. Who wouldn't eat that? It's just a salad. Anyway, I think we need to be careful when we trick the kids. That's enough to ruin a birthday permanently. I remember when mom said she made me a cake (laughs) and it was filled with vegetables. Right then, you've traumatized the kid and he's probably never going to trust you again. You've crushed a part of his soul. Yeah. 
Is there any forgiveness for that? It seems like there's some things that should be off limits to just – It's like a war crime. It's like a war crime. Yeah. It's just let him die on his own rate. It's just a cake. You only get one a year for your birthday. Well – Let it be filled with high-fattening, just greasy yuck and fondant. That's what America is about. By the way, fondant is a word that you would never know otherwise unless you are watching too much television. When you're when cake boss, you're when watching your seven year old comes in and says, "Mom, do we have any fondant?" Well, cake, cupcake wars. Is that what you're yeah. watching? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, son. Right. What the crud is fondant? Just want to interject. Yeah. This has nothing to do with anything. This would be called a rough transition. Okay, let's do it. Left turn, yeah. squealing tires. Okay. This We've, isn't going to work well. Yeah, no, a lot of our shows like that. No, not really. No. Just some sound I collected yesterday. Yeah. I want to get it played. Okay. I think it deserves some airtime. And I if we don't get it funny. done today, okay. okay. And it'll be, it won't be timely tomorrow. It needs to be tonight, today. So play clip three. This is Howard Dean. He was at the Democratic Committee or Democratic Convention last night, and he uh, – kind of reenacted that scream yeah. that ruined his presidential chances before. So go ahead and play that. Help make history and volunteer because this race is going to be won on the ground. And it's going to be won in Colorado and in Iowa and North Carolina and Michigan and Florida and Pennsylvania. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. <laughs> so he didn't actually do the you scream. You added the last part. Yeah, he he did all of it up to and then stopped right before the scream. Like, Come on, he should have scream. gone all the way. That was I thought. He, I thought he, that was he was making light of his own public embarrassment. Yeah, so, but he was having so much but, fun doing that. But he's known for that. And the second he started doing it, everyone started cheering because they're like, "Oh yeah, right. that's that thing." And he didn't. He didn't finish it. You got to finish. Yeah. Even if it's humiliating, do the scream. I don't think it's humiliating. I don't think he believes at this point it's humiliating. I think he's embraced it. Well, it's his thing. So my question <sighs> is: that the proper way to go about it? Yeah, but you that ruined finish. his presidential chances. Yeah, but see that he now he says I'm over that, and he's just changed it. So now it's a funny joke. Yeah. for him. Forever it was like, it was, for me it was kind uh, of refreshing because sure. I use that scream. In so many different ways on the radio, yeah, you would to the, mock the situation, and now it's <laughs> and now he's kind of trying to own it. Yeah, I think it's good. He's he's healthy. He's moving on. All right, it's all good. Hey, as our hero story, we always like to end with a hero story. Two Virginia teens are suddenly more than just baseball teammates after a near death experience during practice on July 14th. Steve Smith was running the bases when a throw from a catcher inadvertently nailed him under his left armpit, causing a cardiac arrest. His heart stopped immediately. His father and coach Tim Smith tells the ABC News, When I got to him, he was stiff, like his body was trying to breathe, but his eyes were rolled back in his head. Teammate Paul Dow started performing CPR, a skill he had recently learned during lifeguard training. Dow tells the NBC that performing CPR on Smith felt like I was having a spiritual conversion with him. Twelve minutes after Dow started CPR, medics arrived and used a defibrillator to restart Smith's heart. Smith was unconscious for a few days but woke up on July 17th feeling fine. Tim Smith credits Dow for preventing his son from suffering brain damage and probably saving his life. It's a miracle, he tells ABC. Dow says God helped him save his teammate. There is no way in heck I did that by myself, he tells Fox 5. Smith says he likely wouldn't be alive if it weren't for Dow. 
Before the accident, we were friends, he tells NBC. Now we're actually brothers. So powerful uh, lessons learned by um, some teens. And even taking their jobs that they learned in the summer to save one another. How cool is that? Folks, those are the heroes. And the heroes are just there to to be there at the right time for you in the right place. Every one of us has the chance to be a hero every day. But the most simple heroic stories take place in your homes, with your families. Just being there for the people you love and the people they love. So let's look out after each other. Let's be careful to uh, not make it harder for everybody to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.